and welcome to the State of Games, a proud member of the Punchboard Media Content Network. I'm Dice Hate Me. I'm getting louder. I'm Puppy Shogun. And we are a podcast all about anything and everything related to board and card games and more. So welcome to episode 143, or as we like to call it, the one about Holiday Road. I hate that song so much. <laughs> I do too. Oh, I love thank that you, song. Darryl. What are you kidding me? I'm leading it off. The, we just let in with that song. As soon Uh-oh. as I read the show notes and saw that, the song jumped in my height, my my head, and I was like, "Damn it, Chris, I hate you." That song is the best. <laughs> no, it's really not. It is. You you two can suck it. <laughs> no, anyway, it's, no. cool. it's it's already led us into the podcast, so you, you're going to be hearing it as it trails off right now. <clears throat> so anyway, this whole podcast, uh, besides the fact of them griping about Lindsey Buckingham and one of the most classic uh, uh, theme songs to a movie ever. Is uh, please feel free to voice your disdain about the music choices <laughs> on the comment a, section of the Dice Hate Me website. Does she have a Twitter account? I'm totally, I'm totally going to 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 to. to she? Put, you mean he? Messages. Lindsay? Lindsay? Oh, it's a he. Lindsay Buckingham. Oh, <laughs> That's even worse. Does oh, he have man. a Twitter account? I'm going to send nasty emojis. <laughs> no, I mean maybe. I have no idea. Anyway. This podcast is pretty straightforward for us. We're going to talk about the holidays. It's been almost a month since our last podcast, so there's plenty of ground to cover, including our annual Dice Hate Me holiday get-together at Casa de Lauder, which was great, as usual. A little bit shorter this year, although, I mean, we were together for about four days, so that wasn't too bad. Uh, But anyway, we'll get to a little bit more about Holiday Road in a second, but I want to ask, since this is coming out after Christmas, how was everyone's actual Christmas? What did you get? Daryl, what did you get? Did you get anything good? Uh, I got these awesome AirPods that I'm sporting right now, which I know everyone listening is just admiring how they look. They're so mm-hmm. white and glistening. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, I got uh, my BGG Secret Santa sent me uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, um, as well as Codenames Duet. So thank you very much, BGG Santa. Uh, and then the the fine people here on this podcast got me a few games. I got the one of the expansions for Man- Mansions of Madness, as well as... The Hunt for the Ring from Ayers, which I was really excited to get. And now i got to read through that 40-page rulebook to understand how the hell to play it. But <laughs> really excited about it nonetheless. Um, but yeah, I, you know, uh, this year I think my age showed a little bit because it was. I had a very good Christmas. More importantly, the kids had a very good Christmas. But it, it, I just realized how depressing this holiday is. Because it's literally, it's literally the one day a year that you are reminded that like who's not with you anymore, and it's just like you're just like, damn, wow, Daryl, way to take the podcast down on you. <laughs> I know, Jeez. I know, I know. But here I am, turning. You know, I'm getting ready to hit 39 in two months, and it's just like, oh, you're, you're hearing death knock at your door. That's uh, what that is. It's not so much oh, I'm hearing no. the death knock. It's not like I'm like, well, I won't be here someday. No, but just, just wait like, until you, know, you get into your 40s. Then, then it's like every every day you get up in the morning, you go, oh, I hear. What is that hark? What is that noise I hear? Is it so? Is it death knocking at the door? <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, is. No, it's just <laughs> it, this was the first Christmas that that like kind of hit, and I'm just like, wow. And so like I brought it up to Leslie, and she's like, she's like, yeah, haven't you? Have any thoughts about that every Christmas? I said, no. Like, this is my first one that I've just, like, been thinking of that. And I'm just like, she's like, yeah, why do you think it's not my favorite holiday? And I was like, well, I wouldn't think because of dead people, but now I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so. 
Sorry, but there you go. Ooh. Well, this Christmas, I got a reality check. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next time with more great board game discussion and lots of more downers from Daryl. <laughs> Lord. Well, why don't we talk about some, oh, I mean, man. why don't we get a little more upbeat? Like, what did you get that you appreciated that made you appreciate the holiday? Besides <clears throat> the presence of me and TC, obviously. Yeah. Um, did you get uh, socks? A tie? Nope, nope. Uh, I'll be I'll be completely honest. I have not gotten much for Christmas this year, short of what you guys gave me. Um, <laughs> this was the first Christmas where my mother did not get me anything. Really? So that was odd. Um, and I I know I know saying that is like so like first world problems, but you know you know thirty eighth Christmas, and it's like you know you expect. I, my mom's always gotten me an Amazon gift card or something, and this year just nothing. Not a card, nothing. I'm just like, oh, all right, cool, Merry Christmas. <laughs> so it's just, it's just weird. Like, I want to be upset, but not. Like, it's just more of a taken back again, more of this realization thing. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the gifts Leslie were going to get me have not arrived yet. So, well, see, that's the yeah. best though because you get to stretch Christmas out. Yeah. Oh no, no, yeah, she she is very upset by it, and I told her not to be like. Like why? Why would you be upset? I have, I have you. The kids had an amazing Christmas. Like uh, Ethan, yo, he knows what Christmas is. He gets it. He's all about it. This is the first year Caitlin's really kind of dawning on what Christmas is. And so, like when pe- when family came over, she was grabbing like the toys and clothes even that she got from under the tree and running up to like my mom and going, "Mom, mom, looky, mom, mom, looky!" Like holding them up and like activating the toys that they talked. And I was like, "Wow, she's showing stuff off. That's pretty cool." Like. You could see her excitement. So I mean, it was it was very good for my family. It was just, yeah. So there you go. Once again, I'm just not an uppy guy this holiday season. Uh, my Yule log was snuffed out. Evidently, it was never lit to begin with. So uh, yeah, we could t- take this down sad town because I had oh. the same I had the same the same thing. But I I I'll, I'll just say real quick, you know, just to 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 be like in solidarity with Daryl. Because I think we, you know, it's like when you get like sad during Christmas, especially that that sucks. I, I can understand why she'd be sad because like the, your your resident come in, your presence didn't come in, and you're like feeling down, and so it's like even worse, right? You know, it's like oh hey, you can't even make it nice. But um, like my sister made us, uh, like uh, my mom passed away this year, and my sister made us pillows out of her shirt, like shirts that she wore. Mm. And that's a super, um, that's a super downer present. I don't know if I recommend that to other people. <laughs> I don't know if I can recommend that one. It's, uh, I think it's supposed to help for for certain people for like you know, getting over over things. But like for me, it was just more like, whoa, all right, I'm gonna hide this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. So, but solidarity to that because that was a that was a low moment for sure. Um, but otherwise, otherwise it was, it was a good holiday. I had fun. There but mainly, a, uh, there's a Reddit video watching, uh, this morning and <laughs> just going down this dark, dark path <laughs> now. I don't know why, but, uh, I, uh, I guess the mother, uh, there was a mother that she, she knew she was not going to make it to Christmas. And so she had her husband record her voice saying a couple things. So he went to build a bear and had a teddy bear made for her son and yeah and gave that to him on christmas 
and the kid opens it up and it's a monkey because the mother always called him her, you know his little her, her little monkey and so he's like oh okay it's a monkey you know big deal and he's like well remember mom called you your little monkey so i got your monkey he's like that's cool that's nice and he goes well press the paw and then as soon as he hears the voice he just completely breaks down and you're watching it and you completely break down and i'm just like it's so cruel but so nice <laughs> all these things are oh they're so cool. i i don't i don't even know i don't know what to, what to feel about stuff like that because it almost feels like you're just you're just making it worse but i guess I, that's how you heal or something some for some people for some people that's how you heal so i guess i yeah. guess that's okay uh for other people that's traumatic <laughs> We can just keep going go. down here. Do we want to talk about games or do we want to talk I about think games? it might be safer at this point <laughs> well, if we actually talk about some games. I mean, we could be real, and, and, and this what happens. What was the most depressing game that we played at Christmas time? <laughs> <laughs> Whistle stop. Uh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, not I true. Would say my, I would say King Domino. <laughs> because only one of us remembers it. I don't remember it at all. Nope. Sorry. I, you told me that we played King Domino or King Domino, as Bruno says. But anyway, that was a little late night, late night Chris action. I don't yeah. even throw games for my son, and I had to throw it for Chris. <laughs> it so all right, bad. so a little, all right. little too much holiday cheer on the last night. I let's think. take let's take this back in a positive direction here. So TC, what blessings did you receive this Christmas besides the 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 you know being around us and having a good time exactly you guys are always the highlight because you know i uh they, they, most of my family just is kind of around but i don't get to see extended family or anything like that so when i go home it's just sort of my dad my sister and her husband now and and you know it, it's it's cool because we're super focused but at the same time it's just you know it's it's kind of just hanging out eating one meal and then then leaving which I would like it to extend a little longer. I like playing games with them and having fun. But anyway, it's cool to hang out with you guys for a, f- a few days. And so what did I get? I got Drop Mix. Drop Mix from Daryl, which was an awesome pick. Because, man, do I, I, I've, I've been a huge Harmonix fan for years. And it they was, did like... Free- yeah. yeah. it was. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, um, but I'm a huge fan of uh, harmonics and everything from like Rock Band and everything that they've done. So super awesome gift. Then uh, Cards Against Burgundy and uh, <laughs> Battle for Rakugan, which I still haven't played it yet. But oh, uh, so wanted we'll, to play that while we were there. Uh, that was a Chris one. That was a, that was a shot in the dark. We'll see. It's a Tom Jolly game. Uh, Nautilian completes my collection now so now i have all the the solo oniram universe games and the dream verse or whatever uh daryl found me a copy of tip kick yeah i can't believe he's able to find that yeah i've been searching for it forever i mean they have new versions now but i guess they're more expensive but like he had a he had an old tip kick from like the 70s and it's got the metal kickers that you can kick a soccer ball and it's it's nice uh and if you haven't seen tip, tip kick i'm not going to explain it but it's like soccer two-player dexterity game so very cool and uh he also gave me soul <laughs> which is not not actual soul but like sol uh which i guess is also not not the that other type not of that other yeah exactly yeah. soul as well <laughs> the latin for um, sun yeah. yes <laughs> exactly 
Uh, so I'll, I'll have that to play. It, I've read the rules. It actually looks pretty sweet. And great. my dad game. gave me my dad gave me money, which was awesome. But he also gave me the promise of a Nintendo Switch coming up. Really? Wow. Yeah. So I whatever. Sure, I'll take it. I'm not going to complain. Sure, I'll take a Nintendo Switch whenever you get a chance. <laughs> And um, uh, my sister also did this awesome gift where she she packaged something up. Uh, she made a scarf that looked like the tie I was wearing for Don't Get Eated. Oh, yeah. And she, like, knit the knit the scarf and then put it in a box that was labeled Don't Get Eated with all the pictures from online that she could find. So that was awesome. So now I have a Don't Get Eated foxtail scarf to go with my foxtail uh, uh, tie. That's I guess awesome. I'm gonna have, I'll have a lot to wear at Unpub, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, I hate that we didn't, again, I hate that we didn't get to play Battle for Rokugan. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to finally get Tip Kick. And, you know, Daryl came through. He got me one of the games that I've been looking for a while, uh, too, that was out of print. Wald Schottenspiel, or Shadows in the Woods, or however it translates indirectly to English. But... We'll talk a bit about that, uh, and we, we actually got a chance to play it, but it was one that we first talked about, wow, was I think it was three years ago. Yeah, a it long was time a, ago. Yeah, a long time ago. It was the one uh, about the fireside, where we talked about games you could play you know, just by the light of the fire and things like that, and Wald Schottenspiel actually is a game you play with a candle, which I think is really cool. Uh, TC gave Daryl and me the best handmade gift I think I've had in forever, just about. But Dice Hate Me Games, the game, which is all about being a boutique publisher and trying to survive in the the wilds of, of Kickstarter and building up a company and and signing games and and hiring friends to help you out with those games and and um, you know uh, also trying to develop those games to be bigger and better to put on Kickstarter to get money and you have to balance uh, both the money from your games and drama at the same time. It's just like real life, basically. Of course, yeah. It's pretty much autobiographical game, which is about as close as you can possibly get. But we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Also got Twilight Imperium 4, which I've been waiting for forever. And that was from Panda. Uh, thank you, Panda Games, for, for Twilight Imperium 4. Also Flip Football, which was on my, my Amazon wish list for a while. Two-player football game that I wanted to try out to see if it's similar to the football game that I'm developing. I've uh, not had a chance to play that yet. Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which is so much fun. Well, again, we played that. We'll talk about that in a minute as well. I got Ulm from Dan Patrice. I got Kaboom from TC. Uh, TC also gave me Bloodborne, which is we've talked about on the, on the podcast before, but this is the one that has the Cthulian or Lovecraftian references in it. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I can't wait to kind of dig into that because I don't play many PS4 long campaign type games. I get like one or two every year maybe to play uh mass effects one of those but bloodborne will be one of those that i can kind of dig in especially since it's got lovecraft stuff in it i think it's gonna be really cool he got me something called inside which i have no idea what that is yet i haven't downloaded it it's supposed to be short and cool yeah it's like three hours like the best three (laughs) hours you'll ever play awesome i'm looking forward to that he gave me baby driver which i've not watched yet but i'm going to download it soon I got a little flash pixel pals, which you go to Twitter to dice hate me or dice hate me Twitter at dice hate me. I just posted um, a picture of us recording this podcast, and my little flash pixel pals is sitting next to the monitor. And I also got from Lillian the Captain America Shield backpack, which is freaking awesome. It looks just like Cap's shield, but it's a backpack you can carry like your laptop and books around in. And uh, finally, she got me a squatty potty. 
Oh, that's so that's so nice. It is a nice gift. She cares comes, about you externally and internally. Internally, that's right. And she it, it comes it's a with gift that keeps on giving. It comes with a button. I don't know if you can see it. Hold on, let me see if I can get it up here where you can see it. I pooped today. Pooped. It's a button that says I pooped today. Have you used it yet? I have. Do you notice a difference? I do. Okay. Do you do? I do do. <laughs> I recommend it. I will say that the only reason it does not get five stars on Amazon is that you actually have to strip down almost naked to use it. <laughs> if, you, if, if you're wearing pants, is not going to work, right? Because you know, there's no way you're going to get into the. Uh, you're, no way you're going to assume the position correctly if you're if you're wearing pants. That's so it's not good for emergencies. No. Yeah. You don't 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 set up a squatty potty if there's an emergency. Just go the traditional way. If you've got prep time, use the squatty potty. It's pretty awesome. All right, let's move on and <laughs> get through talking about uh, depression and, and uh, doo doo on the podcast. This is fantastic. This is great podcast material, y'all. Yeah. The one about doo doo. Uh, the one about doo doo. So we're going to talk about playing games here in a minute. I just want to talk quickly about why this one's called the one about Holiday Road. I actually, and I think I've mentioned this on podcasts before, but since I teach. At, at UNC, I, I have most of December free. So after I get through with my final, uh, my final grades and editing everything for for my class uh, in uh, m- you know early December, I kind of just hit the road. And I've I've gone to the mountains of North Carolina. I've gone around. Usually, I'll, I'll I mean the annual get together is usually I'll end up in in Dover at Daryl's house with with uh, both of you guys and anybody else who's around. Last year we had Jessica around, which was awesome. This year Lillian came around and was uh, partying with us as well. And but uh, this year I decided to go via Lexington to St. Louis so I could do a little work at the, the Greater Games headquarters and then over to Dover. So really quickly, I'm just going to talk for a second about the things that I did. And so in St. Louis, the one thing that I absolutely wanted to do was go to City Museum. And you may, some of you may have seen on my Twitter feed my pictures of City Museum. City Museum is like no place I've ever been before. This is like an adult. I mean, the kids have have fun there. There's actually places that the kids can explore that adults just can't fit. Uh, but it's like, you know, two years ago I went to Sesame Place. With Daryl and Leslie and Ethan. And I had been wanting to go there since I was like eight. And you get to, you know, you can go with the kids. You can do, you can climb around on things. You you know, you get to see Cookie Monster, things like that. But it's like City Museum is like that times 100. It's this adult kind of playground that kids get to play and go different places. The adults can. I mean, there's this place outside called the Monstrosity. M-O-N-S-T-R-O-C-I-T-Y. And it's it's all set up like this art installation, and you crawl across ramparts, and you go up into this fuselage of a plane that's up, you know, up in the air. Uh, you go inside, and you actually go down into uh, what they call the caves to explore the caves, which has selectites and everything. And there's like four or five stories that you can go up and explore all kinds of art installations inside that. Then you go all the way up to almost to the top, and you can slide down to ten story slide, which is in between two buildings that stuck together. This thing's amazing. It's absolutely the craziest thing ever. It sounds like a death trap. It looks like a death trap. It really does. Like I, they don't make you sign anything. You just pay your money and you walk in. But I could literally see people dying in this thing. Uh, I, but it's safe. It's it's beyond all odds. It's safe. 
Now, there's no guarantee you won't get some scraped knees or, if you're not careful, a twisted ankle or something like that. But the, everything has been reinforced. All the different things that you're climbing through have been reinforced. And But it, there are some places that you're climbing in where there's, it's swaying a little bit and you're thinking, I'm going to die. But it's amazing. This place is crazy. And it's like 12 bucks to get in. It's only 12 bucks, and you can just stay all day if you want to. It was one of the best things I've ever done. And I highly recommend if you got a chance to go to St. Louis, check out City Museum. Do it. Uh, I also they, they got, honestly don't. They honestly don't have enough like Sesame Place for adults, like in the world, right? Like, I absolutely agree. I feel like a Dave and Buster's chain should just instead of doing that, be like just wild and crazy, like pipe dream thing that you can all just like hang out in. You know, it would do so much, so much money. It would do gang. It would go gangbusters. Uh, there's a place in Durham called Frankie's that has a couple of things like that for, for adults that they can climb up into the nets and things like the Sesame Place. But this place yeah. is unreal, and it's just it's super cool. Uh, let's see. I think Daryl is downing a uh, Bloody Mary right now, I think. if I, Yep, you are? Yeah, he's he's guzzling it because he's looking after two kids almost by himself tonight. So, well, three kids. Oh. <laughs> so uh, if he starts slurring things toward the end of the podcast, you'll know why. No, no, talking about. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just gonna start talking like Rick from uh, uh, Rick Sanchez. <laughs> Marty, Marty, no, no. <laughs> so uh, the other thing that I did at, at St. Louis, which was great, was the Anheuser Busch Brewery has uh, that's Anheuser Busch's HQ in St. Louis. They have they open up their brewery, and you get to go in for free and do kind of a self guided tour. And they have tons of lights all around the brewery, and you get this little bracelet with little five little tickets on it, and you can take one of the tickets, take it to one of the tasting stations that you go around and get tastes of Anheuser Busch brews. Now, uh, that said, um, obviously you better like Michelob Ultra or Bud or Bud Light, but I did find the Stella corner. There was a Stella ah. Artois corner. Uh, you didn't find Lime Marita Corner? There was no. I, I was shocked. There was no Lime Marita Corner, <laughs> unless I missed it. There's a possibility I missed it. What, what, what is the other one? Clamorita, Clamorita, Clamato, yes. Clamato and, 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 uh, and yeah. Bud Light. Yeah, yeah delicious. Amazing. You should have got that. <laughs> I actually like Clamato. It's pretty good. <laughs> Speaking oh, of Bloody Marys. But anyway, it's a ton of fun. If you get a chance, you're in St. Louis, go and check it out. Again, you got to kind of like that type of beer, but it's all free. I mean, it's absolutely 100% free. And you just, I mean, if you want, you know, to buy a beer, you can there. You can buy merchandise and everything else. But if you just, they let you in the door and they'll feed you five beers for free for Christmas. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, I got a tour of Earthbound Brewery, which is actually really good beer <laughs> and tasty beer i had something called the camp uh, krampus gruit there were two gruits on on the menu but there's tons of different ones i'll talk about the gruits the gruits are a type of ale that only that don't use hops and they use all these other different types of flavors but the, the krampus gruit had like peppermint i don't even remember all the, the ridiculousness they had in it but it tasted um, weird and amazing and they just have they just try different things. They're like they're basically like home brewers. They just try different flavors. They put things together, but they're an actual brewery that do it. Anyway, we got to tour downstairs where the distillation um uh the fermentation tanks, distillation goes on. They have an actual underground what looks like a dungeon that uh we got a chance to tour. It was just a ton of fun. 
Also, reason one of the reasons why going to St. Louis was the Great of the Games holiday party. We had it at Pieces, the board game cafe, which is in Sillard, which was not too far away from where I was staying. I stayed right next to the St. Louis Arch because I'd never got a chance to do the Arch or, or to, to do downtown St. Louis. So that was that was uh, a lot of fun. But the Great of the Games holiday party, we had you know uh, a a present swap. I ended up after at the end getting a huge bucket of Hendrix gin, which was just freaking amazing. Uh, you can't go wrong with Hendrix Gin. Uh, and then um, while I was there, I tested out some games for possible publication. You can listen to the podcast for news about that later. I'm not going to go into all those right now, but there are a couple that we are seriously considering. And after I play them a couple more times, you will probably hear some announcements. It's been so depressing. I just wanted you to be like, there's a couple that we are definitely not doing. <laughs> and no. I'm going to list them publicly now. No. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing, nothing that I played did not have potential. Uh, there were a couple that obviously I didn't think fit and weren't quite developed enough, and so I'll be sending feedback to those designers. But uh, we got a, we got uh, about two that I think are really good, and there's still one that has a lot of promise that I still need to play with a couple of groups. So we'll see how that goes. Finally, I'll just wrap it up and say that I went to the Miniature Market headquarters. And uh, they're they're actually opening a new brick and mortar store that is not. They used to have it in their HQ, which which is where their warehouse is. Uh, but they're clearing most of that out. I got some ding and dent copies of games. A couple of them we'll talk about in one second. But overall, the miniature market headquarters is going to have this new store, and uh, they have. A, I mean, it's just they have so much stuff. And I got I got ding and dent stuff for like eighty percent off, which was inc- which oh, yeah. was crazy. Which played is, one of those. We did, and we're going to talk about that. And, and yeah, I'll be honest with you, I'm glad it was a ding and dent. I got 80% off, but it was still fun. At least I thought it was. Yeah. But then, but then again, I think I won. Did I win or did you win? <clears throat> I, I think I definitely won. <laughs> you think you definitely won? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, I consider it a win because I built the two big meeple things. So Yeah, yeah. Because if you're in last place, you just play a card and you get five points. <laughs> It is true. You know what? Since Daryl is doing whatever, I have no idea what he's doing right now. He's, I guess he's wrangling people. Uh, let's go ahead and we'll dig into – I'm gonna. that's pretty much it for, for Holiday Road. Other than the fact that I went through uh, – drove 14 hours from St. Louis all the way to Baltimore to pick up Lillian to come to Dover. But we can dig in now to talking about the annual Dice Hit Me Holiday get-together and uh, games, games that we played. We're going to talk uh, more in detail about some of those games that we played. So let's just start and dig into what we were just talking about, TC. So the game that I bought at Miniature Market was called Ariala. And it was uh, the, the, it's got a colon in the name, so... It's got to yep, be. It had a tra- it had a travel brochure for the the area. <laughs> so does. if you want to go to that area, you could get like you know tips and tricks from the back of the rule book. It is crazy. So it's called Ariala colon Canal de Garonne. So it's the Garonne region of France, and you are. Uh, for, uh, here's the description. Uh, in the reign of Louis the Fourteenth. Uh, Pierre-Paul Riquet, a superintendent of the army and a brilliant engineer, proposed the idea of a canal system using water from the Montagne Noire and the Massive Central. Between, 18, between 1665 and his death in 1680, Riquet was completely absorbed by the planning, financing, and construction of his canal system. Sections of it, including the Canal de Garonne, remained unfinished until the 19th century. So if we haven't lost you by now, it's very Euro. And um, it's all about basically building a canal in the uh, Tarn-et-Garonne section of uh, France. And in the game, basically what you're doing is you get a set of cards, 
and you can either use the cards to do certain actions, or you can uh, use action points to place your workers or whatever's uh, into sections of the canal region, trying to score uh, majorities in those sections. Or you can build a lock that actually closed down portions of the canal, and then you scored immediately. And each section can hold different amounts of people and locks, so on and so forth. There's also places you can go and build water structures, and you can place your people into vineyards because, hey, this is France. Let's get real. You can also send them off to work in the vineyards, and at the end of the game, if you have the majority in those vineyards, you'll get certain victory points from those things. And like TC mentioned, if you're behind, there are certain cards you can get in your hand. There's two... I don't remember what, what they're even called. There's two big things. You, you, you build like a bridge and you build, uh, what's it called? A sluice. A sluice. A sluice, yes. One of the most famous sluices. Uh, one of the top ten best water sluices, <laughs> sluices in, in the, the world. world. And they're actually giant meeples. They're wooden meeple yeah, representations. And that's cool. I mean, it's totally ridiculous, but it's cool. But yeah, the only way you can build those, though, is that you have to have the cards in your hand, and you have to be in last place in points. <laughs> and so you just, uh, I love it. It's great. You just basically, and all you do is spend an action point, you build it in its place, and you get five points, and so you catch up. So it's like a blue, it's like a blue shell. It's the blue shell of Ariel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, what did you think, TC? It's, uh, it's you know, game. it was an experience to play it with you guys. Every Any game is fun when I'm playing it with friends. <laughs> that was I'm sure I can find the silver lining in any game. Very diplomatic. Uh, I, I will say it's not very good it's kind of it, it kind of is one of those things where you put your workers down and you're you think at very for at, at the very beginning it seems kind of interesting because you're like ooh, when do i want to cut off this area of the canal put my workers in there and gain majority and you can kind of manipulate other people into the perfect spot so you score a bunch of points for majorities but then your guys are just kind of stuck and you gotta mm-hmm. i don't know there's like there's three things you could possibly do to get them to move but really there's not enough time. It takes too many actions, and there's just not much going on. So you end up throwing them over onto like, I don't know what those were. They're like patches of water, just like random patches of yeah, water. Yeah, they're they're built. They're called water structures, where you build like I don't even know, like water wheels and all kinds of different things. It's like it felt like they ran out of funding on Kickstarter or something, and they were like, <laughs> oh crap, we can't do this stretch goal, so we'll just put water holes in, water on holes. the board. Yeah. Yeah, so you put your guy in the water hole and you get three points. I was like, yeah, sweet, I just did that. <laughs> and but yeah, it, it's not very, it's not very exciting or dynamic. It's just very, uh, very straightforward. So I don't know. It, at least though, it advertised like thirty minutes. I think we were about that. Yeah, like, I, it's super fast. Uh, I think that after the ding and dent discount from Miniature Market, it cost me like six bucks, which it was totally worth six bucks. Yeah, and the art's uh, the art's fantastic. I like the art on the board. Yeah, it's a really cool looking. But that's the worst thing to be saying about a game. (laughs) (laughs) I love the art. It's easy to play. I think that it's one that I will hold on for a little while to teach uh, some other people and see how it goes. But it's not revolutionary by any means. But it's got a charm to it. There's a certain charm that I, I enjoyed, and 
yeah, it's not it's not one that's going to leave a lasting impression with a whole bunch of people. But at the same time, it's one of those weird eccentric or from Dice Hate Me Games, the game esoteric. So I'm surprised that TC mm-hmm. Pay to the Third did not latch on to it as strongly. Well, as you know, did. I love I love boutique games, but you know, this one just <laughs> did this one just missed the mark. It has so much potential, though. Yeah, it really does. It, See, the it, issue is, is as you were saying, TC like it has good art. Usually, those small no-name boutique games have bad covers or bad art. Yeah, and the game is. Credit Mobilier, for example. I mean, I know it's not exactly a boutique <laughs> publisher, but uh, it was pretty rough. Stratamax Games. Yeah. yeah. Tip hey, Kick, I'm, I'm expecting Tip Kick to be just like the the world's greatest thing in the world. By the so, way. The world's greatest thing in the world. Jesus the world's Christ. greatest thing in the world. Keep drinking that. Keep drinking that Bloody Mary, buddy. Okay, so speaking of Tip Kick, everybody needs to... I don't know if I'll include this picture with the the podcast notes on dicehaven.com, but go to Board Game Geek and search for T-I-P-P-K-I-C-K and look at the cover art for this because there's a dude on the cover that looks like he is the Antichrist. It is, it's before Photoshopping. Yeah, but they painted his eyelids on. They paint his eyes in there because it's obvious that he took the picture and he had his eyes closed, but it was the best picture they had. So somebody went in and actually painted him having eyes open looking at the board, and he looks satanic. It is the strangest (laughs) thing I've ever seen. It's awesome. It makes the game. I mean, it's like, who doesn't want to play that? It was was, was just crazy. All right. Well, we'll get- I, I will be getting. I'll be getting some games in with that. But we didn't get a chance to play that really, mm-hmm. other than just messing around with it. Yeah, we just kind of played. But I mean, I was I was amazed how smooth the kick action is. Oh yeah, on those little guys. Uh, it was. Uh, it looks. It looks awesome. And I'm glad that this Darryl is serious. This it. is serious. There's clubs for it in Germany. It's nuts. Yeah, but, but diecast metal figures, which is just really super impressive. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Daryl, since you're back, why don't you throw out one of the games that we played? Or one of the games that you played. Um, that what? That I what you cut out? What? That's that it, what? one of the games that we played or you played. Just throw out a game. We talk about it. Uh. uh well, I, was, I don't know what you're talking about. Did you talk about uh, Castles of Burgundy the card game? Not yet. No, nope, we just started. Hey, I played Castles of Burgundy the card game. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Um, if this was my second four way four four yay into the Castles <laughs> of Burgundy four-way. world. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Into the Castle of, Castle of Burgundy world, I still have yet to play the the main base game for Castle of Burgundy. Okay, um, but uh, a couple weeks back, I was introduced to Castle of Burgundy, the, the Roll and Write with Ben Rossett, and that was it was it was fine. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> uh, and then TC brought the card game, so I was like, well, now I'm stepping up. Like I started off with like the meager. Rolling right now, I'm like cards are a little bit more substantial, take up more table real estate, and uh, I liked that. I, I I liked that a lot, a lot more than the dice game. Uh, so I I I am very eager to play the card game again, and you know I I am still willing and able to play <laughs> Castle of Burgundy the regular game <laughs> if anyone ever brings it in front of me and says sit down and play. So. I will be honest with you, though. After playing Castles of Burgundy the card game, I don't think you need to play the regular game. I think that Castles of Burgundy the card game is superior to the regular game. It's easier to tell what's going on. 
Uh, I do like the fact that okay. you get to roll dice in the regular game, and there's a board and everything else, and it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this I will say the bar, the card game is just as much of a table hog as the big game is. And the only difference is that it's in more in a ca- compact package you can carry it around everywhere, but it is going to take a lot of space. But I really like the card game. It it operates smoother than the base game does. I think it's an improvement over the original, and I, I just enjoy it. I think it's one of the one of the better failed releases, and especially trying to the whole movement of like the blank the card game that was originally something else. I think it was one of the better ones that that managed to capture the base game in, in a more compact but yet more, but as robust experience, in my opinion. Oh, it might even be my favorite feld. Oh, that's weird. Just weird wow. to say too. Look at all that. There's a lot of felds right. out there, but like I, oh. I like this one's smooth. It's just smooth. Feels good. It's, uh, Feels good to play. It's almost the exact same price point to purchase the base game of the card game. <laughs> but uh, no, I yeah I I I liked the, I liked the card game a lot. Uh, I was in last place, but I was still surprised on how close of a game it was for everyone point wise at the end of the the game. Uh, I I had 22 in last place, and TC had 28 in first place. Uh, Chris had 25, and Lillian had 23. Mm -hmm. So there was just two to three point jumps between everybody. So, uh, yeah, so I I liked it. Well, speaking of... Mr. Feld, you may have a future in this. Speaking of games, though, moving on to games that do the base game, colon, something else. So we've got Viva Java, the dice game. Let's talk about Kingsport Festival, the dice game. So, Daryl, you didn't like the original Kingsport Festival. Now, you this was a three-player game. Was it a three-player game with just me, you, and Lillian? I believe it was. TC, were you yes, in this game? But it was right before you showed I up. Just, I, right as I was walking, right, I watched. Right. Yeah. Um, but I will say, because uh, I, I think you're going to be like, well, maybe it's just because it was three-player. Uh, when I played Kingsport Festival, it was a three-player. It was the three of us. Mm-hmm. So I've had both Kings ports as a three player with two of the players being the exact same. <laughs> <laughs> and so go on, continue. No, and- <laughs> I want you to continue. I mean, I, I've talked about this game before, so I want you to talk about your first experience with it. It, w- it was okay. Um, I do need to play it again, and I'm willing to play it again. Um. It it's very slow for what it is. I, I just feel like, for especially what the theme is, it should be a bit more aggressive in uh, not so much in mechanics, but interaction within the game itself. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, I liked it, but I just kind of feel like there could be a bit more to it, or some things could be a bit more streamlined. Um, as as someone has said about one of my games, and I'll reply the statement because now I just hear it all the barking time. It's a little rough around the edges. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that I would even um, say that it's not rough around the edges. It's just that it's a little bit too on rails a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. I think I want to expand a bit more. It's very restrictive that you know it's. Some yes yes it's on rails. I'm just gonna shut up. It's on I, rails. I think that I mean I, I mentioned this before, but I think that it's not a bad game. It's it's mm. it's just that you all start out in the exact same place. You your first die roll, you're gonna get one of four things, and the one of four things is gonna then de- de- determine where your your path leads from there. 
And a lot of times it doesn't even matter because your path is still going to overlap with some of the other players. And the only variability from game to game is not in the Elder Gods that are put out or the Ancient Ones that are put out. It's only in the Investigator that hampers your progress. The Investigator changes the game state every game, but it's only one Investigator, and it changes the the amount and rounds that you might get rated, which is going to determine if you lose sanity points and so on and so forth. But for the most part, a lot of the games are I mean, I hate this term, but samey. Uh, it's it's pretty much what it is. It does. It, I will say it does not really outlast its welcome. It is a little plotting in the beginning, but it speeds up toward the end. You can pretty much determine that by the eighth round, someone's going to summon Azathoth and win the game, or you're going to wait until the ninth round, and then you're just going to have to count on points. And uh, it's it's one of those that I think that for the price point and for what the game is, it does its job. It's it's not as huge and sprawling and plotting as Kingsport Festival is, but also it doesn't have the depth that Kingsport Festival has. So you've got to realize that. And that's why I say it's on rails. It's like every single setup of the game is the same. What's that face for? I, I, you, you, you just seem to be complimenting Kingsport Festival a bit <laughs> too lavishly. I um, had I, a different I, opinion I, I of Kingsport come right Festival. out and say that I like the card game far more than the it's I, the, oh, dice sorry, the dice game. Right. I like the dice game far more than the original dice game. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that, I, I, I liked it. Um, I guess the closest thing I would compare it to is like a weird hybrid of Yahtzee and Elder Sign, but not a co-op. Uh, but I think it gets the Elder Sign nod just because Elder Sign's a dice game on, with a Lovecraft theme. So that's not really doing fair justice to either one. But yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough time on that game. If you want to check well, it out, I think it looked. I think it looked dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I like the art. I actually commented how all the art for all the monsters are just headshots. Like, there's no full body, and I'm just like, I don't know if that's really lazy or really brilliant. <laughs> it's an improvement. Actually, so. it's an improvement over the original Kingsport Festival because Kingsport Festival is a big muddy mess, and then, not that this one's mm. much brighter. But it's easier to tell kind of what's going on. There are lots of cards with words, but they're all in your hands, and you understand immediately what they do, so it's not hard to play. Uh, but yeah, it's you know it's still still really dark. Not that fate is this big bright shining thing in the Cthulhu universe, but you know at least we tried to it make it. Be. Yeah, that's right. All right, hey TC, why don't you talk about something we played? Or that you played? Well, what else did we play? I, I played uh, Favelas for the first time. Yeah, I never got a chance to play it at Unbub stuff. And I, I like it. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where I even stood on. It. I can't remember like the the scores. I was just more just messing around. I think Chris won. I think I won that one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like the fact that there was some swinginess to the scores. Like I like the fact that like we it, I was behind early and then oh, oh, oh Lillian what? won. Okay. Oh Lillian won. Oh yeah, she's oh, all doomed to be. Yeah, we're pretty close though. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, we just had to, it. It was cool because it it kind of it had that swinginess to it in the scores, but mainly because the way that you build your your uh, your town, which oh, I guess favela, <laughs> the way that you build your your Brazilian slum town <laughs> is 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 kind of going to inform your 
your ability in the next round. So if there's some randomness to it, there's some randomness to how the scoring works, and that's good because each round sets up differently, and so if you had a poor round, you might be in a really good spot starting the next round. So I like that stuff. Uh, it, it's really simple to learn, like super, super simple, and uh, and I don't know, it's pretty straightforward and pretty solid. I, 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 it's not. It's not going to replace a heavy euro, but it's like a, you know, it's a nice light strategy game, and you can duke it out with your friends. It's good. Yeah, it's an interesting. It's it, it's it's fascinating how your your I don't know your risk aversion. You have to to manage your risk aversion as you progress from round to round. So there's three rounds in it, and yeah. so every round you're rolling the dice to see which of the colors of the uh, the the buildings in your favela. Uh, will score and you get majorities in those buildings depending on th- whoever has the most or tied for the most things like that so what's interesting is when you first start out you're pretty wide open and you, so you can play like two or three fa- you know favela uh, colors or try to get all six of them i think it's six right or is it five five five, five. okay five if you can get all five colors you then you can score the clear die that's rolled as well and if the, the clear die is worth a lot of points it's worth to, to, to have that flexibility but by the second round you're pretty much spe- specializing in one or two colors trying to do two which is what i tried to do as much as possible is get the two biggest scoring uh, colors every round and make sure that i was ahead of everybody for that so uh, you have to, with with that in, entailed, if all of a sudden the next round the color that you've been specializing in decreases, you got to switch gears and figure out the best way that you can score with that. It doesn't outweigh its welcome. I think that the production quality is really cool. I like how everything fits together. Uh, there's a lot. Of, it seems to be a lot of, I guess, opportunity for uh, trying out different strategies as the game progresses from from game to game because it's going to be wildly different every game you play. Not only with the tiles that you draw, but also in the dice that you roll and taking your chances on how those all turn out. So, I thought yeah, it was cool. and I like that. It, I like that it gets harder as you play. Oh right? yeah, like you were saying. Like the, yeah, so the, the decisions get harder as you go, which is always better than the decisions start off hard and get easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I thought it was fun. Uh, I think it's worth anybody who's has seen pictures, and we've talked about it obviously on the podcast on several occasions. I think it's worth the hype. I think it's one of those that, especially for the price and the production quality that WizKids put into it, uh, I think that it's one that you should all check out. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, we talked about Waldschattenspiel, Waldschattenspiel. Let's talk about that for a second because we all get a chance to play that. Not only that, we all three were playing, but also Leslie was playing and Lillian was playing in this one. And Waldschattenspiel, yeah, all of us were playing, right? It's five. Yes. So involved shot and spiel. Basically, the, you, it's it's a game that you set up these wooden trees on this this uh, board that looks like jigsaw puzzles. But anyway, there's the little trails through the woods that uh, you put a tea light on, and you light the tea light. You turn out all the, the lights in the room, and everyone controls gnomes that are lost in the woods, and your goal. For everybody who's not playing as quote unquote the adult, it says in the rules the adult should control the the tea light. And so I said, well, I'll be the adult. So the adult's trying to catch the dwarves, but the overall arching goal of everybody all everybody else that's playing the dwarves are supposed to, or gnomes are supposed to get them to underneath the same tree. So you hide the gnomes all the way around, 
and then you light the the, the tea light, and then the gnomes get a, a chance to play. And you know, a few of you were playing two gnomes at once, so on and so forth. But anyway, I would turn around. You would run, but you can't cross any of the paths that are lit. So you've got to run from tree to tree and try to get all underneath the same tree. Now, if I, on my turn, I roll a die, I can move the tea light among the paths in the forest. And if the, as the light shifts, I might catch some of those gnomes in the light. And they're, they're frozen in place until you all, until the light disappears and you all get to those gnomes and unfreeze them by touching them. So it's like, you know, tag. So yeah. I, I describe it as a tabletop communists and Christians basically is what it is. I don't know if y'all have ever played that game, but uh, it's known by lots of different other versions. But we used to play that at church camp, and it's called Communists and Christians. And so the, the, the communists are walking around with flashlights, and they catch you. You're frozen. And the only way you can be unfrozen is if somebody, uh, you know, one of the Christians comes in and grabs you and runs with you, and you're trying to get all back to this headquarters. It's the same Daryl's got the strangest look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a southern it's a southern thing. It's a southern thing. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, this game is so charming. The production quality on this is so cool, and it's like eventually the the gnomes are going to win. You just play until the gnomes win. There's no like. The, the adult with the with the candle can win other than making it harder for I, the gnomes to do it may, maybe you'd have to get like I think it's what happens is you get really close to the end and there's like one big moment where you catch pretty much all of them right at the very end right yeah yeah I guess you could do that that's true I guess the game could end if all of you were if, if like I call all of the gnomes at once with the light like yeah. if everybody was gathered under a tree except for one gnome that was out there still trying to get to the thing, and I came around the corner and they were all under the tree, and one was like that, and none of you could move, then yes, I, I guess the light could win. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, what I liked though was that the the tree that we ended on, that we all hid behind, was the one that was like right in front of your face, like literally, yeah, the one that was six inches away from your eyes, and you can't, you could not see that there was six gnomes. Which I, I couldn't see if there was six gnomes there, too. It, and you would overlook it really easily because that seems like the most obvious not place to not hide. You would why would you want to hide when you had your eyes? Yeah. When, you, uh, when you had your back to us, your eyes closed and stuff while we were adjusting the gnomes, uh, we'd actually uh, took our flashlights on our cell phones and turned them on and put them right above the candle because it, sh- it highlighted the uh, shadow and light lines a bit better. Um. But that's like a lot of the commotion was just that. Like a lot of times we would just like pick up the trees and put them right back down. Like, oh, yeah, let's move this. Let's move that. Uh, not touching any of the gnomes at all because we couldn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was just like so I think one of them was like we went for a really long time. I think it was like the longest time. And we did absolutely nothing. We were just wanted you to think that we were like busy moving everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. I mean, that's cool. That's fine, too. And well. You know, it was what you said though was interesting. Is that sometimes you even had to have the, the lights from your your cameras to be able to see, yeah. uh, you know, where your gnomes were. I mean, you knew kind of like you were controlling your gnomes. You knew where your gnomes were, but in order for people oh, to yeah. know kind of where the gnomes were. But when you turned off all that stuff and you just had the tea light, like TC was saying, I didn't notice the gnomes in the tree right next to me because all I can see is the tea light, and because yeah. it's so dark except for that one light, that the shadows are like absolute black it's mm-hmm. crazy now there was one time when i think i made out the, a yellow gnome 
The yellow gnome is really the only one that showed up, I think, from behind the tree. But all the rest yeah. of the colors are so dark that I couldn't really make them out. And I went on this wild goose chase. And the, and, and the dice roll, again, this is a very random, and it's supposed to be for, for smaller kids and things like that. But this was just charming. It was just such a cool game. I love that I have it in my collection. It's one that I think will come out in mixed groups just to kind of have a you know a refresher. You don't have to think too much for it. Again, it's a, a unique experience because you're playing in the dark. It's just really cool, so. dude. It should go on your uh, you know games that you take on a deserted island because it provides a source of light and a source of heat as well as entertainment. <laughs> and yeah, if I need so. if I need fire, we'll just cook over it. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, you good. <laughs> So, no, it, the game, if you ever have a blackout, that you should just immediately have that game in a place where you can go, all right, we're playing this. Absolutely. Yeah, we're playing yeah. Volchuchenspiel. I'll take you to Gen Con next year for when the, when the uh, lights go out. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else, what else did we play together or did you play that you want to talk about? Uh, Codenames Marvel. Sure. Let's do it. Played that. Um it's code names with Marvel pictures on one. It's characters on one side, and then text, which is usually titles or locations of the characters on the other. So you can choose to play it the word version of code names or the picture version of code names. And honestly, that was my favorite part of the entire game was the ingenuity to do that. And I was like, you know, I really wish Code Name Pictures did that because if you had Code Name Pictures, then you kind of have everything. Right. Like, you'd have the regular game in pictures, so... Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I liked it. It was super late. Um, you definitely need people that know somewhat of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, you don't. Uh, it, it Chris and I were on a... Chris and I were on a team together and just decimated everybody because no one else was really super marvel <laughs> And, like, you try to bring up, like, net, like something from the Netflix because that's a bit more re- relevant and there's... Like, oh, I didn't know that. I I don't watch that show. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. You do have to check yourself if you're not playing with, like, uber comic nerds. Um, you can yeah. still play it. It's totally playable um, by using colors and shapes and themes and things like that if you don't fully know, like, each individual character on there or if it's, like, their original costume or the third costume change. I mean, if you're a super Marvel nerd, You'll have a blast with this game, but if you play with a mixed group, you can still have a good time with it because there are themes that play into this, you know, like projectile, you know, gun four, you know, things like that, that you can pull out themes that that create these synergies. And sometimes, just like in regular code names, you'll get these synergies that are harder to do. Or you might have something that incorporates the assassin that you could do a synergy, but you're really scared. And I think one of the ones we played, I had to take a big risk on that. And sometimes you just have to do that. But that's, I mean, that's why Codenames is so brilliant. And I love playing, I do love the fact that the, there's there's words on the back, including with the pictures. I think that that is a, a great addition. It, it allows you to have huge replayability with it. You get a lot more bang for your buck on that. So, yeah, a lot of fun. All right, TC, what else do we play? Well, I I guess, well, let's jump in. We'd play Drop Mix. Yeah, let's talk or about drop least, mix. At least played played it for a little bit, right? So I I, I actually played this afterwards. <laughs> I played this afterwards with my sister and uh, and uh, her husband, and like we played the party mode again, and it was it went really well. Like they picked it up immediately. So I don't know if it was just everybody being slightly inebriated or something, uh, because <laughs> no one understood. Oh, there's a two. 
I got to put a two on that. No, I think we there's were all a, just there's a, a little green slow card. On the uptick, I need to put a green card there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, I, yeah. I, I wasn't playing this. I wasn't playing when everyone else was playing, and I'm I'm getting what the game, and I'm trying to say it, and people are still just. It sounded like no one was listening. <laughs> so I was like, all right, whatever. And then TC tried, and he uh, TC got it too, and like TC and I were trying to explain it together, and. Yeah, and we're just like, all right, well, whatever, just do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> well, we had, this was the one of the nights that Nikayla was over. And so yeah, we yeah. were all just having a good time. I mean, it was just, it's one, again, the party mode for this one is one where you can just throw things down. But again, we were all trying to learn the ropes, and it was going horribly wrong the first time. But the second time we played through on party mode, we were all kind of getting it, and we were, we were being much more communicative. Communicative, mm-hmm. and like saying like, yeah. oh, there's a yellow here. And then all of a sudden, when it advances even further, you have to pay attention to the icons that are on the bottom of your cards. That's when we first. That's when we learned, like, oh crap, we got to really pay attention to more just the colors and stuff. So, well, this is the this is the worst podcasting because I'm doing everything backwards. Uh, but Drop Mix is a game about remixing music. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and there's a if, so if you don't know what Drop Mix is, right? Uh, I, I mean, I already alluded to it because I like harmonics and they do rock rock band and those other games before. Well, they this is their first try in making a kind of a board or card game mix right and so the board is this toy like a light up toy that has five spaces for different cards and when you place a card on there it has like a little uh, reader inside the card a little uh, RFID chip RFID chip and so when you place it on there it knows what it is it knows what part of the song it's 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 playing and when you play it it plays that like that aspect of it so it's like say you you might put in the vocals from call me maybe as one one card and then you might have the bass line from an evanescence song or something like that right and so you put them together and as you play them they they change it changes the key and tempo automatically for you so it all matches together nicely and it's just I don't know. It, it's it's really fun to just mess around with. Just put the cards on and make your own songs and do whatever, right? You feel like you legitimately can make stuff that sounds like a real DJ would be doing, just mashing th- songs up. Oh, it's, but, it's pretty amazing, yeah. But yeah, but when you're playing, like you are putting these cards down and it's changing up the music and changing up the tempo and some things just sound really awesome and you just yeah everyone's head bobbing and playing along it's it's a neat experience and, and, then, I, and then disturbed gets thrown on there <laughs> and then everything yeah, so, stops wah! to go the wah! yeah exactly yeah and and then it just goes <laughs> <laughs> it uh, disturbed is the drop that like every it's the what what is that thing? The hipster drop, the, the thing where yeah. the thing where you put it in, and it's so ironic that everyone just leaves. It's like when you want everyone to go go take a break, you put on the uh, disturbed. It's real. You it's can real. Time it pretty well, where you can at least just get the ooh, and then pull the card off real quick. Then that's okay. Once it goes past the last, then it's just all downhill. Yeah. Uh, I love that it's in there. The only card that I was just like, don't put that back on. (laughs) Not that card. Yeah, the rest of them actually went pretty well. It's just the fact that you have everything has to slow down to let the ooh ah ah in at the beginning, (laughs) just so you recognize what it is. It just totally changes up the tempo and everything. It kills everything. The worst. (laughs) So bad. 
but yeah, and, you know, anyway, so for, for people who are looking for like a, a game, I have not played the two-player game that's supposed to be the actual game. The party mode is sort of you play and it requests certain cards at certain levels, and depending on how fast you put them out collectively as a group, you get a score. And the only issue with that party mode is that randomly you could just not have the card that they need. It has happened like a few times where you just, oh, crap, we don't have a red card. And that's just silly. That's just like something in the design there should have been tweaked so that doesn't happen ever. But I don't know. It's kind of rare. But uh, I'll have to play the two player. Don't have anything about it. But really, to me, it's more of a toy. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it being an awesome toy. It's cool. It's a, it's really cool. I think that Harmonics again has reinvigorated uh, or tried to uh, brought something unique to the marketplace. Now, unfortunately, from what I heard, Dropmix has not performed the way that they expected it to when it was released, yeah, which yeah. which is a shame because I think it is a really cool advance. Uh, just like when Guitar Hero came out, you know, Guitar Hero was just like nothing anybody had played before. Dropmix is the same thing, and again, it has to deal with with music and. And I think the fact that you're able to just in freeform mode mix these things and create these cool mixes. I mean, you even posted the other day on on Twitter, TC, a, a mix you just made. It had disturbed in it, unfortunately. Well, but anyway, yeah, yeah, but, I, but it had it to. Was a, it was it was it was my ironic mix, <laughs> right? Exactly. The Doctor Doctor Who and disturbed and disturbed, mixed. yeah. But yeah, but it, but no, I've actually made some good ones. I might post one just because, like, it sounds good. It's it's very cool sounding and it's perfect for somebody like you like you you have the app, the apps that you i mean like two years ago at our holiday get together for like an hour and a half you're just sitting there while we were doing something just mixing stuff on your phone you know like mm-hmm. it's yeah. if for people who like to do that and to do it in such a way that it sounds professional and it's creative that's awesome so i really do hope that they still stick with it that they don't just abandon the idea and that in the new year in 2018 they introduced some more things they could do with it and, and boost it in in the marketplace because they've done a good job of getting review copies out and getting you know buzz for it, but it just hasn't performed the way they expected. And I think it was probably the price point for it, especially for a tabletop game that is essentially a toy. Um, anyway, I thought it was fun. It was really cool. Yep. Um, I'm going to throw out Santa's Workshop just so we can talk about that for a second. We all played Santa's That's Workshop. Not that bad. <laughs> what are you talking about? um so we've mentioned santa's workshop if you want to go listen to i'm not sure what episode it is 140 141 but anyway keith ferguson the designer of santa's workshop is on with me and tc and talks about the the story of how santa's workshop came to be now me trying to get this game oh my god this was crazy. I pre-ordered it in November, early November, from Miniature Market, hoping that Rio Grande Games was going to release it on time. They didn't. Spoilers. Uh, they they actually got the full game in retail about a week and a half before Christmas. And even Miniature Market got their deliveries too late for me to pick it up in St. Louis, so I had to cancel that order and order it a little bit more expensively from Amazon and have it shipped to Daryl's. So that we could play it. Because I, I wanted to have it for Christmas. And obviously I wanted to follow up and, and talk about some of the improvements. Or the actual final production game. Because we have played it in several. Or at least I have played it in several iterations. Throughout the development. Anyway. Go listen to that podcast. It's actually one of our best podcasts. And it's all about the story of Santa's Workshop. But anyway. We got a chance to play it. I've played it three times now. 
I played it at Dan's uh, Dan Patrice's house for Christmas Day. We usually the tradition is to go over there and have dinner and play some games. So I played it again. But we've all played it now, Daryl. You weren't in the second game, right? You played the first game with us. Yes. Okay. So in the second game, but TC, you've played in two of those games that we played. I just played the second game. Just the second. I game. I missed the first one. Oh yep. wow. Okay. So I'm the only one who's played it all three times. But anyway. <laughs> Um, in each individual plays, like, let's start. Daryl, what did you think about Santa's Workshop? How did you feel about, like, we can talk about the graphic design, we can talk about the production, we can talk about the gameplay itself. Like, did you enjoy it? I mean, you don't have to be kind. Keith's going to listen to the podcast. He's going to hate you forever if you're going to tear it apart. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, it, no, it was good. It, it was good. It was definitely one of the more enjoyable games that we played over the weekend. Uh, is it my hands down greatest most favoritist worker placement no it's not uh but i don't you know keith didn't set out to make that a thing he just set out to make a good game and he very much succeeded at that so uh it was good i would play it again my son is very eager to play it again oh ethan in fact he's yes ethan wants to know when i'm going to buy it so i can play it with him (laughs) so uh i had to wrestle it i had to wrestle it from his hands when i was leaving the house because he's like that's but that's daddy's that's daddy's game isn't it i was like no it's it's my game i have to take it home so i can play it with other people because no no you can't take it (laughs) so uh but yeah so uh, and i think it'd be i think it's an awesome game for him for ethan to learn worker placement on uh it's it's it is meatier than like my first stone age and stuff but uh, he is a gamer at heart. He understands and gets the mechanics. The comboing and engine building that that game has is still a little above him, but I think you know Leslie or I sit and play with him like Lillian did uh, on that one game. He'll get it. But he, yeah, he loved it. Loved it. So yeah, that was the that was the best time because he that was that was the time where he was the be- the most goodest. He was true. Entire, he, yeah. he he never sat and did anything with us because he just couldn't stop asking questions and doing weird stuff. He didn't do nothing of that. He was just totally honed in on that game. Yeah, he yeah. was and into and, it. And, and yeah. let me just and let me let me stress here. My son's not bad. They're not saying he was bad. When no. he comes when when the guys all come over, when everyone comes over to play board games, whoever it is, Ethan is very eager to play. And he wants to know what's going on in the game, who's winning, what colors who. Like, typical questions, but they're not annoying questions. Except for constantly, can I play, 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 can I play. Can I play? And I'm like, and I, I, be, I, being his father, have a good gauge of what he can play. Like, sorry, dude, no, you cannot play first class. Not going to happen. Right. Um, you know, things like that. So, uh, that, that's... I just don't want listeners to think that I have a complete jerk of a son. But all fathers will understand that all kids can be jerks. So <laughs> he's not without a jerk. <laughs> just not that bad. No, you know, and that's and that's the thing. You know, it, he'll be he's normally just a, a normal kid, super excited to do everything and be with everybody at all times. Question, question, question. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, he he was able to sit down and we played the whole game through. Uh, it was I. Um, I mean, I like playing it on the the full version, like here, because it just, I don't know, it just it it helps. Uh, I, I could see where where you know where the Keith was having frustration with art and everything, but like I think in the end, the the art for the board looks uh, pretty solid, and um, 
uh, and even you know even e- each individual present looks pretty good too. I'm I'm just sad that you know hey I have skills for data merge. You could have just called me up and we could have had a different serial <laughs> number on every card. Yeah, the uh, serial number biggest... being the same was a little disappointing, but yeah, just took yeah. me out of the theme. <laughs> <laughs> killed killed the whole experience killed the whole experience yep yeah. uh but i went i went no plastic this time and i gotta say you know i i think i gotta go plastic again next time because i was i was trying my best to be as quality as possible and i gotta tell you i went the first time i, I mean i've played i've I played it obviously in in doing play testing with keith and things like that but the first time we played i used a lot of plastic and i did okay but i did definitely didn't win uh, the second time that we played, I did not use plastic at all, and I killed, and it was awesome. I was patient, <laughs> and patient. I was very patient, and I waited for my time at the woodworking shop, or the actually I didn't do much woodworking. It was mostly metal smithing and and fabric uh, sewing and things like that. But uh, yeah, I did well. And then when I played it again at Dan's over Christmas, I decided to be patient again and not do plastic and take a mix of cheap not cheap gifts, but in inexpensive material gifts plus very expensive ones. And again, I killed. It was awesome. So it's one of those games that it does, it it will behoove you uh, as you play. You will get better at the game. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it still is easy and people still have a good time because we played it, not only would we play it with Lillian helping Ethan, which again, like you said, Ethan was great during this game. He was in it. He was involved in everybody's turn. He wasn't asking me any questions. And Lillian was helping him make his decision. But he was making the decisions. And he did. I mean, they did really well just with Ethan making the most of the decisions. Um, and uh, Lauren, Dan Patrice's daughter, uh, she just played it all by herself, obviously. I mean, she's a gamer anyway. But uh, she did really well as, as well. And she in the middle, it was clear she was in the middle of the pack. And I don't know if she knew she was going to win or not, but she was like, this game is awesome. This is so much fun. And so I, as, as a family-based worker placement game, I think it succeeds on all counts. Uh, it's oh, not yeah. Yeah. It's not one that a lot of like gamer gamers are going to dig out to play a whole lot of times, but it's like Lords of Waterdeep. It's like if you want to introduce people and you want to have a good time playing sort of a chill uh, worker placement game. Santa's Workshop does a great job, and it's definitely one that is perfect for families to have fun with each other. So best score track ever, by the way. Oh, absolutely. We, yes. we have to we have to bring this up again because yes. okay. So you might be saying you might be saying to yourself, TC, what does best score track ever mean ever? <laughs> like, and that's and that's the thing. You'd probably be right that uh, normally a score track it's just something it either snakes or it does whatever or goes around the board. In this case, it goes around the board. But the thing that it does that's great, and 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 Chris pointed this out as I started moving pieces was there are four distinct there it goes it goes one or zero to five right and then every fifth one it has the number but then there are uh five distinct images in between right four, or four four cookies, Im- four, cookies yeah. four distinct images in between and that distinct image means that you know exactly where to go for 10 points like immediately Absolutely. or five points or 10 points or 15 points and so if you have to do 16 points you just go oh Brumping ding, right? Like it's so. Um, I, I never thought that getting rid of those numbers and putting a symbol on there would be easy, but it's it just crazy. makes everything so much easier. It's amazing. Super, it's, super easy. It, I mean, it's like, especially somebody like me that I don't like to do a lot of math and try to figure out. Well, this person needs to be at this spot. No, seriously, it, it's like new math all of a sudden. 
where you're like, yeah, okay, snow, you're... snowman to snowman, bit gingerbread man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's super, it's super easy. You count off the beginning parts and then you go by fives or tens or you do boom, 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 boom. You're all the way around. It's awesome. Is I bet it was totally, I, I bet it was totally just trying to be thematic, you know, and not even thinking about it. And Impossibly, it works so well. But no matter if it's a happy accident or a, a, a something that Keith meant to do, he's had that score track on that thing forever. And it stuck to the very ending. I'm glad that it did because if I do, if we do score tracks around things, we're going to do symbols from now on and not numbers because it is awesome. So, yes, 100%. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. Let's move on really quickly. Let's talk for one second about something that I almost rage quit. Whistle stop. Um... So, <laughs> the beginning of the end. The beginning of, of the uh, end. Okay, it was Friday a, night. It was bad. It was a bad day. Uh, bad day and bad night. Anyway, uh, I don't know what set me off in Whistle Stop, but Whistle Stop we've mentioned in, in past force. But Bezier Games, it is a train game. But as TC pointed out when he was teaching the game and talking about the game, it is a combo game, and it's, essentially all the trains are magical. They are very magical. Yes. Uh, it is a train game and theme only, really. I mean, you're 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 gaining coal and you're using coal for actions, or you get whistles that allows you to do multiple actions, and you're also placing these tiles from your hand to build out other spots where you're gathering uh, these either basic goods or advanced goods to trade in at. Um, some stops to get stocks or to go to the end of the line and trade in to get a whole bunch, excuse me, a whole bunch of points and some bonus things. But essentially, it's trying to set yourself up so that you can combo in multiple ways and make the most of the up to four actions you can get per turn, depending on how much coal you got in your your train. And for some reason, by the middle of the game, I was just so cranky. Uh, I I think it was just there was so much going on in the house. Uh, My head was hurting. It was like... I lost it. <laughs> I went off on Daryl, and I was felt so bad afterwards too because it was the no, worst. I did, I did. I told you I was sorry. It was bad. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, I don't. Evidently, know I quote ruin everything unquote. <laughs> it was it was horrible. I just I flipped out, and I don't normally do that in a game, but it just for some reason it was a perfect storm. Of I had a, a plan and nobody was else, else was around me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I got this plan. I'm actually going to be able to do pretty well, be able to do all my combos. And then Daryl, just for some reason, out of the the wild blue yonder, comes swooping into this one spot. I need to put a tile and puts a, a, a tile down, and it ruined like two or three turns worth of moves for me. And I was like, I lost it. <laughs> so for the record, uh, later that night to make up for Chris, unbeknownst to him. I threw King Domino so he could end the night as a winner. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad when you got a king uh, throw King Domino or King Domino. Oh man, I put this desert tile upside down. Now the water and the desert are in the wrong spots. No, no, it was a, it was the whole like. Oh, I forgot to put my guy on the three crown coal mine. Oh, I'm so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's go back to Whistle Stop for a second. Um, I didn't think the game was all that bad. I was just, it was a, it was an Alhambra moment for me is what it was. It was one of those games for whatever reason. I think you can play this one again though. I probably do. I probably do. Uh, and less than five. Five is, five I would say, cruel. caution anyone against five yeah. in Whistle Stop. I don't think it should be on the box, honestly. I I agree with that. Yeah. 
that's one thing that I thought too. When we finally finished and I calmed down and my face wasn't red, I was like, yeah, I definitely want to try it again, but definitely not as five. It just for some reason there was it, it. It was too crowded. It it made it trying to combo and use the tiles out of your hand more difficult than possible. Some like TCU and Daryl had trains that were over to the left hand side that were doing combos that none of us could do on the right yeah. hand side. We were all stuck there because we couldn't get down there. And then Lillian had that pain in the butt power where you had to pay her to get out of her square. Which oh my god that was that was just horrendous. But anyway. Um, every I'm game, gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm going to remove that for large player games. So <laughs> I, I think, think five players, good idea. that might be, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. But every game is different. It all has variable setups. It also has variable powers that you can buy during the game, which I think is, uh, I like the the variability of the game and how the replayability could be, be upped. And I like the combo-ness of it. But I think that it was just one of those games that, like, like I said, it was Perfect Storm of five players. I was frustrated because I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do, despite the fact that I had a plan. And they just came out of nowhere. So, anyway, that was my thoughts about Whistle Stop. Good production quality. Yep. I still like it. Yep. All right. What else we got? Anything else? We played First Class again. I just want to say that. We played yes. First Class again. And it reminds me that I, I really liked it. I think I was being a grump about not playing it just because I wanted to play all the new games that we had. We right. had so many new games. I was like, I don't want to play an old game. Uh, but when, I, when we got it onto the table and played it, I was just like, I'm happy I'm playing this again. It's so good. I had well, uh, and I was pushed to get that on the table because uh, I wanted Leslie to play it, and I I've heard that it's a very good two player. So before we dove into a two player and found potentially the opposite, uh, I wanted her to see what it was like playing with four, three, three or four people. So we played with four, and uh, th- like like TC said, thankfully everyone except for Leslie had already known how to play. Um, so it made teaching Leslie much faster and, and easier. I'm terrible at teaching games, even my own, especially my own. And so it was a nice to have a backup of teaching me. Oh, you forgot about this part. Oh yes, I did. You know, and it's not trying to step on each other's toes with teaching the game, but just making sure all the holes were, were filled. And, you know, there were very few questions and, and Les picked it up real quick. So yeah, well, so I hope you guys played a bunch of times. Yeah. So I'll play it again. And also, uh, also, I got to uh, teach. Finally, I got to teach Daryl Xenon Profiteer. But I don't even think it's on the list. But Xenon Profiteer, oh, yeah. which totally he enjoyed, and I think everybody, uh, at least somewhat, enjoyed. I don't know if Lillian enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, she, she might said have it was great. The, I mean, she won. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So huh? she, but, she liked uh, it twenty percent better than everybody else. Yep. So I, I mean, I couldn't even remember. I didn't even win, which is weird. So you know, but that's okay. You sometimes you got to throw your games. Just like Daryl did earlier, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of okay, games, and we'll just quit. We'll, we'll talk quickly about the rest of these, except for one that we won't talk on extensively for a second. Uh, we played Kaboom, which is a present that TC gave me, and it is a game where you set out this grid, and you have these little pieces, and you're supposed to, uh, in a real time situation, you're supposed to build these pieces into a structure. While everybody else has little catapults with dice that they are shooting at you to try to knock your structure over, it's complete chaos. You I remember that? Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember his score of three. Come on. Yeah. Oh my god, it was horrible. <laughs> I would have done probably a lot better had I not been inebriated. But anyway, uh, I, it was still you fun. Were? Yeah, I know. 
it was still fun <laughs> and it's still a cool little game itself but it's just nuts that you're trying to build these structures and people are trying like if somebody's really good they get really good with their catapult like you can get it you can get a straight shot right down there and just decimate the entire thing yeah, it was so, it was so funny because Chris was Chris said like his second turn was like epic like he he gets these two <laughs> two things set up perfectly goes to start the next thing right as the timer is like running out and me and just Daryl just go boing boing yeah you knock them both smash <laughs> both of them perfect shots right like just so yeah great. it's one of those you have to uh, realize you're going to have your hard work decimated uh, because of because of the the catapults yeah especially if you're patient and what the shots you make. But it works but, well. I like the catapults. Yeah. yeah oh, the catapults cool. What's yeah? I think that a lot of those games, and we've played other games that have catapults in them, uh, or the catapult mechanism. These are pretty cool because they only have so much that the fulcrum moves, so you can't like launch it across the room. Like it's pretty limited on, especially with the weight of the die or the block that you put on it, plus how much you're able to hit the catapult. So the accuracy is improved. It doesn't arc and hit somebody in the face, you know, because you're, you're just getting overzealous with it. There's only so far it can go. I think it was a good, a good, it's a good engineering feat for the, at least the design of the catapults. Um, yep. Really quickly, I'll touch on the fact that I, I knew I was going to have to play it, but I played Monopoly Gamer. I knew that Ethan was wanting to play a Monopoly Gamer. And uh, and I'm sure everybody else kind of uh, got, disappeared when this was going to happen. Like, TC disappeared into the back room. Oh, man, I got door. such a headache. I had to go lie down. <laughs> yeah, and, just, and, and then all of a sudden, right, when it was over, I, I, I got you better. You reappeared. You did. You, yeah, I was like, I was where's, better. where's TC? Oh, he's, you know, he's he's disappeared. And then Lillian went with Daryl to the, to the liquor store, so they all they disappeared for a while. So it was me and Ethan and Leslie. And I was like, I'd promised him I was going to play it. And I was like, I wanted to play it, just experience Monopoly Gamer, just to see what it's about. And it was just as bad as TC said it was. Um, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely. <laughs> but hey, but it was over faster than normal Monopoly. Come on. It is over faster. And the reason why is because I played like, you should play Monopoly. I played Ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> I completely crushed <laughs> Ethan's world. But he still had a good time playing it. But yeah. Um I just I, I I was frustrated in the beginning because I was like because I was the third person going and when you're a third person going you're like behind everybody and unless you have a power that lets you attack people in front of you there's nothing you can do you're not getting any you're not buying anything because everybody's buying it up before you get there you, you don't roll two dice so there's no way you can get ahead of somebody else unless they roll really badly so yeah for like four or five rounds I was just kind of dinking and dunking getting a few little coins here and there but I was mostly getting like killed and then um. I think I managed to get. And then ahead. you started to play better. Well, that's what I did. I got good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I decided. I was like, you know what? This is. I, I was like, I threw down the dice and I said, "This is it. I'm going to get better." And uh, but yeah, I, I just I got a, a lucky break. Uh, they went to jail a couple times. I managed to get in front of them. Was using powers to wipe them out. I managed to get the the three sets of the most uh, expensive uh, properties in the game. And uh, did what you know do a monopoly when you get those you just you just kill them you don't make deals the only deal that I did make with Ethan one time is he had to pay me like eight coins and he had like no coins and I said all right well you know what you don't have to you don't have to uh, sell your properties off I'll just trade you for all those boss monsters you fought to get just give me just give me you know your biggest boss monster and he's like oh okay that's cool so. Anyway, he'll learn. <laughs> yeah, well, he'll learn. <laughs> but he had a good time. We all had a good time playing, even the fact that the game is horrible. <clears throat> oh, 
Okay, so let's talk about Dice Hate Me Games, the game. The game. The game. So this this is a game that TC actually designed, and he made it handmade for me and Daryl to play, and it has not only like all of the regular Dice Hate Me Games releases over the years, but some of the ones that got away or uh, were in development or have been talked about over the years or have failed on Kickstarter. Uh, there are uh, people that have been involved with Dice Hate Me Games, like Genesis, who are in the game that you can hire to help you out, uh, Dan and Pretty Dan and things like that. But it's a lot of, it's basically so meta because it's, like I mentioned before, it's kind of biographical. So you, you it's, it's following all the way from the beginning of Dice Hate Me Games to the current iteration of Dice Hate Me Games. And you're, you're working as a boutique publisher. And basically you're trying to every round uh, either sign a game or develop a game, add things to a game, manage drama, manage your budget slash, uh, you know, your workforce and uh, trying to balance that daily life with, with drama and other things. You can actually... The, the player interaction is positive player interaction, so you're asking players if they want to help you out in certain aspects of the game, uh, and if you if they don't have... Playing Go Fish, basically. And it, if <laughs> yeah, you, it's, game, it's Game or Go Fish. It's Game or Go Fish is really what it is. But it's hilarious, because you're like, well, the hand, do you have this? And if they say no, then all of a sudden you're like, and you have a grudge against them, so you put their token on top of, of your player, your player, and now you have a grudge against that player, and it adds to your drama later, and yeah, and whenever they, whenever bad things happen to them, good you get good things. Good things, right? Exactly. You're like it's Schadenfreude, which I mean, <laughs> that's that's realistic, right? It was crazy right. awesome because being in the industry, a lot of the grudge stuff. You're like, well, why would you have a grudge? Oh, wait, no, yeah, I get. You know, like we were able to relate, like, and put like a little micro story behind everything that's happened, like either real world or like a slight twist on real world stuff, and. I guess mainly inside jokes or inside stories that the three of us knew, like know about. And so, and it wasn't making fun of anyone. It was just being able to relate it. And the fact that TC put that much background to everything. So he didn't, everything miss, made sense with the exception of falling stores on games. Oh yeah. Well, that's pretty funny actually. <laughs> so, so the games themselves have two, yeah. two different things. One is either it was quality, but the other, the other uh, score that you have is Kickstarter ability. So they're yeah. they're how much like appeal they might have on Kickstarter and all of Daryl's games are ranked at one for quality, but they're very very make a lot of money on could make a lot of money on Kickstarter. And, so and of they, course, all of mine are ranked at the highest highest possible quality level five yeah. Yeah. with the lowest on the appeal on Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah, lowest appeal on Kickstarter. I, mean, I get the juxtaposition of what he did, but it, it's still just like really, and you know what. But yeah, you know, the, the more Leslie, Leslie brought it up, she's like, "Well, if someone has to be a one in the game, why don't you take that knife for everybody else?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, see, <Aww>. <laughs> yeah." But think about how much money your games make. I mean, you know, it's okay. Oh, I know. Hey, it's a, it's you know, if this game ever sees the light of day, it's it's a playable commercial. So. It really is. That's amazing too. Is like the fact that you built it in such a short amount of time, play tested it, and it's playable. It's just awesome, and it tells a story. I mean, obviously, it's it's going to tell a story, a much more intimate story for like all three of us playing it because we've lived it. 
Um, but there are plenty of people, even out there listening to the podcast right now, that have lived it with us. Like, they get the, the, the references. They've heard the podcast. They've heard these stories. They've seen some of the things, like, you know, clubs in and don't get eaten who have gone on Kickstarter have not made it, or mentions of Bulletproof over the years. You know, like all these different things that tie into the Dice Hate Me Games universe. That's just amazing. And the fact that it's just a card game. It, it brings all this stuff to life, and you've got like one of the. I think one of the fun ones was the fact that uh, there was a detriment that was added to compounded that was boring. <laughs> that was it was just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I had I had I sat, that I, was the drama I signed card. compounded. Yeah. I signed compounded because you know I love I, I as I was playing as Thomas Petrovic four, <laughs> um, and. Uh, uh, and I like esoteric games, so I had to pick up Compounded because oh, it's yeah. an esoteric game. Yeah. And then uh, I just so happened to, you know, get some relationship troubles, and then I had to make Compounded boring. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I kickstarted the most boring uh, uh, esoteric game that's ever existed, but it made a lot of money on Kickstarter. It did. <laughs> it did. And and that's it's just, it tells. And, and also, one thing to mention is the Kickstarter mechanic. So, uh, uh, TC brought his danger coin mechanic back into the t- into the game. So, uh, when you're kickstarting a game, you can kickstart it from anywhere from ten thousand to four thousand dollars, and depending on how well you do with the Kickstarter results, will depend on if you overfund and if you get bonuses from the overfunding and so on and so forth. But um, what you have to realize is like what your base Kickstarter ability is plus any bonuses that you've added to that game itself. It could be through friends, development, so on and so forth. But you take the amount of coins in Kickstarters. We call them coins, but they're tokens. And then you basically, let's say you, you're going to you put the Kickstarter funding at, at $20,000 and you get, you've got four Kickstarter coins to work with. They have a Kickstarter symbol on one side and a blank on the other. You take them in your hand and you flip them in the air like coins. And whatever the successes are that come up, those add to your successes for how much funding you get for that particular project. And they're exploding. So if you roll, if you get the K on the, the size of the coins, you take those coins that have the K successes you pick those up and you flip them again and they keep exploding so you get more and more successes in the case of me one time i only set my kickstarter funding at ten thousand, and i had three coins to, to do and i threw them up in the air and they were all blank so <laughs> i failed my funding for that one um yeah, so, it, but, yeah. but that's it's trying to i mean the basic idea was to try to make it as like you know as thematic as possible. Like instead of instead of it just being, hey, I put this out on the market and this is how it does or whatever. Right, right. Uh, you, we have you know say you know it's a little inside thing that we always have to do like Kickstarters for things and a lot of independent publishers go from Kickstarter to Kickstarter. So I figured that was the best way to do it. And what I really like is that you you have to make a choice, right? And it'll probably get magnified. Uh, in the future but like you have to make a choice and that's what do i want to set my funding goal is because that's what what i need to fund but if i get more than double of what my funding goal is with whatever i have then i get victory points equal to my funding goal right and so that's the tricky part it's like well i could just fund and get a bunch of money and not worry about the victory points or i can go low and hopefully i'll get like I'll I'll do what, I'll overfund and I'll get my victory points, and right, hopefully that hopefully that reminds people thematically of how Kickstarter works. Is you set your funding goal low and you end up shooting past what you get right by doing that anyway. So yeah, anyway, so yeah, boost your cred or you can try to get as much money out of it as possible, but not necessarily double 
Yeah, like we said, we talked about it on the last pod, or not the last podcast, the previous podcast about the the uh, uh, perception of value, where we talked about it is very thematic of well, you could nearly double your funding goal, but people say, "Well, oh, gosh, I wish that I guess that Kickstarter uh, was a failure because you know they set their funding goal at forty thousand dollars and they only got like you know seventy five thousand dollars. I mean, they didn't even double their funding goal. I mean, they must have just what do they do wrong? I mean, they should just go back, you know, to the drawing board and try to launch it again. You know, so it's, it is very thematic and it's, it is a lot of inside baseball, but anybody who follows Kickstarter, who's listened to the podcast, who's a fan of this would have a ball playing this game. It's fun. Um, I really hope something, I really hope we can do something with it. And so I want to play it with more people and TC's got to write down the rules and send me the, the, the player cards and things like that. But it's, it was a lot of fun, especially fun for all three of us to play because it's just so many f- gags and you know how we can have fun relating to the things that are in the game itself so i think it was a great gift and i had a great time playing it i can't wait to play it more especially with like i want to share it with dan and, and other people i want to take it to cons and and play it like with matt and ben and stuff you know like to have them experience the game itself i think it's gonna be awesome yeah um i think we're almost to the end of this uh, i think there's not much more to mention i will mention that before all this happened i finally got to play lancaster which I've been trying to play since WBC 2011, uh, which is crazy to even think about. And, uh, well, you know, it didn't live up to the hype. Uh, (laughs) I think we felt like we played it wrong. It wasn't a bad game. It was just like all these coins that I didn't know what to do with. And um, uh, we we struggled through the initial setup and then, uh, we didn't realize the importance of certain nights. Uh, overall, it was still a fun game, and it's it's uh, it's definitely has a reason that people are, are still playing it today. But I do think it kind of shows that it's an earlier design and uh, doesn't have quite the nuances of some of the modern designs in it because there are certain resources, especially coins, that just stack up and you're like, meh, whatever. I don't know what to do of it. I'm not going to go into detail about it because it's not worth it for right now. But I'm glad I played it. Glad I finally got a chance to play it. Anything else to mention before we move on? I think we've touched on it. All right, so news hits. Finca is coming back to print. This is one that has interested me for several years. It's one that I actually looked into not too long ago. But, of course, uh, Patrick Nichol had the North American rights to print Finca or reprint Finca. Uh, through Crash Games, but since Crash is no no more, I didn't know exactly what was going on with all that. But in one of the recent uh, Board Game Geek news things on BGG.com, it mentions that Finca will be released with Franjos Spielverlag's. Uh, let's see, they're they're doing the original art and design for the game. They're releasing it, I believe, in German, English, and French. We don't know exactly what's happened with U.S. distribution, but obviously, since it's in English. We uh, will probably find that out soon enough. But anyway, I thought that was interesting to note because Finca is one of those games that is hugely popular amongst the design community. Uh, the next news hit that I will... I'm going to let TC kind of tackle this one, but... Uh, oh, Daryl? No, I was... I don't know why I'm pointing He's raising his hand. I'm not sure. He's right above me in my video <laughs> no. screen. Oh, wow. Like, gotcha. So you're like, let's see. I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> All right, TC, why don't you roll with this next news news item? Well, I mean, this one is near and dear to me because it's the Perfect Information Podcast has decided to close up shop all of a sudden. So 
on Daryl actually sent this to me. I didn't see it until uh, Daryl sent it, but she, yeah, it was like December 21st, something. I'm getting ready to leave, right? Like I'm trying to get out the door, yeah. and then all of a sudden, Daryl sends this message. Did you know about this? And I'm like, um, uh, no. <laughs> you had just sent a <laughs> so, note to like Georgia's, right? Yeah, I had just sent like two days before. Mm-hmm. I had sent a note to everybody, uh, you know, on the on the Perfect Information podcast, which is, I mean, you can still up on iTunes. You can listen to old episodes. So it's, I did a deep design segment on it, and uh, the, uh, oh, I guess I, I mean, I, it, I had just sent two days ago an email that said, "Hey, I am not going to be able to do any more contributions." They, you know, so it's like it's probably a long time coming since I haven't done anything for a while. So I'm going to step down, but don't make a big deal of it. Maybe I'll come back and do a few more things, right? And then all of a sudden, I get to see this thing that says something about like perfect information, sad farewell, or something like that. I can't remember what the the, the post is. And yeah, um, apparently it wasn't about me. It was about <laughs> it was about angrily perfect information closing. And the bridge bridge has been burnt, and I don't think that one's ever going to be crossed again. So, I don't think so. So yeah, so uh, one of Georgios posted a long a long message to everybody about perfect information and how he was fed up with it, and made several accusations against his co-host about being violent and uh, misunderstanding things, and yeah, and so that got deep, and so. Uh, Anyway, uh, I, I just whenever I got back home from from Christmas, I, I, I looked to see if there was a response from anybody, and apparently there was a response. It was I uh, pretty flippant and angry again from the other co-host, and so Yikes. that's that, I guess. You know, and 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 I'm, I'm obviously, I mean, if if you get it, we'll probably put it in the show notes a link or something for it. But if you get a chance to look at it, you'll see why the bridge is burnt pretty obviously. And um, I don't, you know, I honestly, in in these situations, I don't take sides because I don't know who was what. I just feel for the victim, you know. Obviously, Georgios was feeling sad, so so uh, that sucks that 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 was he was in that situation. But you know, but. Uh, on on the other side, Ben, you know, I never had an interaction with him that has given me the impression that this would be the case. So it, it's also it's very shocking. And um, I'll you know, I'll just leave it at that. Right. Like and I wish I, I just wish he would have been a little bit more uh, loving in his response. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, I, that I guess seems... everybody's mad. So, yeah, that so, seems uh, weird. Though. I mean, the fact that you would send something and then it was sent back with mm, you know, sort of hostilities, which is odd because you weren't even commenting on what it, anything that had happened, any of the drama that had happened. Anyway, we hate to see yeah. <clears throat> we hate to see anything like that devolve into uh, talking about you know threats of violence or anything like that. We don't know. This is a he said, she said, even though it's a he said, he said situation. Um, where well, we like I said, in my, I, I made a little quick. Sorry, I made a no, little quick ahead. response and said uh, that you know it's like I believe both of them, and and I think that's okay to be that way. I think it's okay to be mad at Ben for being pretty flippant, and then be also uh, believe him, and also believe that Georgios felt the same way that he did. You know, and so uh, you know uh, that's it. Just is it, it is what it is. Sometimes creative differences happen, but like yeah, it sucks that it happens this way. Uh, so hopefully we don't ever have a situation where. 
<laughs> the show ends in someone burning down every bridge possible. Well, if uh, if Daryl has decided to record with us after what happened on uh, what was it Friday night? No, no Saturday night. Uh, I think we're okay. So I threatened him with violence. <laughs> Actually, I did not threaten him with violence, but I was a bit yelly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, what yeah. we call convention, Chris came out. <laughs> That's not true. It doesn't happen very often. Anyway. But yeah, we hate to see uh, that perfect information, especially the podcast. I mean, they've been... How, how long have they been, had the podcast going? Like two years or so. Oh, more than that. Point. I mean, you've been doing uh, deep design for them for at least three, I thought. But anyway, yeah, it's been a while. So we hate to see it, and we don't obviously know the full story that's going on behind all this, but we wish them all the best so that they can part ways without um, too much drama. <laughs> uh, I think it's past that point. But, it's yeah. probably past that point. But anyway, it's, if they could just walk away and just be done, that would be the best. But we don't know. Anyway. Uh, let's move on to other industry news. I'm going to talk about deep water games. So uh, our friend Nolan Nasser announced, and he, he posted on Twitter not too long ago, but announced that he has entered into a partnership with Travis McIntyre and Jacob Way to form Deepwater Games, which is uh, basically their, their first thing is they're going to work on bringing... Uh, some Asian games to the market, and they're gonna they're working with I think what is the name Emperor S four, which has four um, of that company's hottest titles. Uh, one of the titles is Herbalism. Sha- the other is Shadows in Kyoto. One is Crow's Overkill, and one is Hanzi. So we won't go too deeply into all that, but they've seen be doing really really well in the Asian market, and that's something we've seen be pretty prevalent with a lot of companies now where uh the the asian gaming market is pretty hot um we've seen aeg dip into that we've seen tmg dip into that uh you know it's just uh not only trying to uh, people realize that that european games are hot right now but but the asian game market is is really cool uh and really hot especially if you can get decent and reliable english translations for those games so uh, working with the Emperor S4, they'll have these four games, and I'm not sure exactly when they'll be coming. Uh, it says uh, March of 2018. So that's pretty good. I mean, we, we love Nolan. We trust that he's going to enter into a partnership that's going to be really cool for the gaming, uh, the gaming uh, community as a whole. And if you want to know more about that, you can go to deepwatergaming.com. Other than that, uh, I don't know any more. Go ahead, Daryl. Were you going to add to that, or no? Mm. Okay. Uh, the only thing that I'll add right now, and I don't know any more details about this, but it was only just a vague tweet. <laughs> not well. Jason's not much wanted vague tweet, but this was pretty vague. He said, uh, "This is uh, Jason Katarski of Green Couch Games." He said, "Today's exciting quote: This contrast it, contract is between Jason Katarski, publisher of Green Couch Games, and Vincent Dutre, artist illustrator." So obviously. He's signed Vincent to do art for his game. We all love Vincent's art. It's fantastic. I will say, Vincent has done a lot of art lately. He and Quan Chai are everywhere, and I love their art style. But, again, it's starting to get saturated. So, I like, I got Alexandria. We'll talk about that in a second. I got Alexandria in the mail uh, two days ago. It was one of my Kickstarters. And Vincent Dutre art was on the front of that. And I love, I freaking love his art. Uh, but it's like they're everywhere, and I don't know how they are not, how they're keeping up with the workflow. It's just crazy. They're both very talented artists and obviously are very professional and have a lot going on. 
Uh, but it's just crazy how much how how prolific they have become. I'm fine in, with it. I'm fine oh, with I'm fine with it too. All the all the art for all the games. Sure, sounds good. And then they should uh, never sleep. <laughs> and obviously, they they probably don't sleep very much, especially considering how much art they have right now in board games. Before we move on to the backside of the podcast, I'm just going to mention really quickly that I was in the car on Holiday Road making my travels. I actually started recording a solo podcast, and I was going to do this as a filler because we haven't had one in about a month, and I was just going to put one out really quickly. But my intent was to record a little bit while I was driving, get my thoughts down, and then get interviews with people um, on my trip and uh, in St. Louis and at the Greater Than Games headquarters. Well, my best intentions and all that, my recorder died right after I got to St. Louis. But I did manage to record quite a few thoughts about recent games from Stefan Feld that I played before heading out on Holiday Road, including Merlin. So I have a, a little snippet that I recorded about my thoughts about Stefan Feld, his evolution in gaming from Macau to Bruges to Merlin. And so here we go. I'm just going to play that for all of you, complete with road sounds and everything in between. I got a chance to play Merlin, which is one of the newest Stefan Feld designs released by Queen Games at Essen. Uh, we had a copy there at the game day. I believe it was Ruth Boyack's copy. And uh, a lot of people got to play it that day. I wanted to make sure that I got a chance to play because it was one that was definitely on my list. It was on a lot of people's list because it was in the hotness for Essen. But of course, because of Stefan Feld, I'm going to follow this up with a couple of other uh, observances about Stefan Feld and his games because after I played Merlin, um, I actually took Macau, which I hadn't broken out in a long time, over to Ruth and Jeff Ashton's house to play with them and Lillian and introduce them because they haven't been too crazy about failed games in the past. I wanted to see if they liked Macau because it is very thinky. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, but then also we just followed it up about a couple days ago with Bruges, which is my personal favorite failed game. And uh, again, it had been a while since I'd broken that game out with four players, so we'll get to that in a second and start talking about some of the similarities. Well, let's talk about Merlin for now. So Merlin in itself is basically a rondelle game. For people, any of you out there who played a Stefan Feld game, that's not very surprising. But essentially, the theme of the game, and I put theme in air quotes, it's kind of loose, is that you are one of the houses in the, of the knights uh, of the round table, and Arthur is getting old and about to pass away, and for whatever reason he doesn't have an heir, and so you're trying to uh, impress him so that you could get your piece of the pie whenever whenever he passes. And Excalibur is involved, you know, minimally. The Holy Grail is involved, you know, because I mean, you got to get all these mythological substances uh, uh, or tropes, I like to say, for the Arthurian legends into the game itself. I'll just tell you flat out, they're fine. I guess they kind of make sense, but yet they don't. I'll talk about that in a second. So the core of the game itself is you're going to be rolling three dice on your, well, four dice. You're going to be rolling three of your colored dice and one white die. And what you do on your turn is you choose one of the die and move your knight clockwise that number of spaces and take the action in the space. The rondelle itself is basically the uh, round table of Arthurian legend, which makes perfect sense as it's a rondelle. To be honest with you, this is probably just a design where there was this giant rondelle in the middle, and they said, let's just make it the round table and make it King Arthur. And it was like, okay, fine, we'll just make everything else fit in. 
So uh, you, you're doing that with your different knights, and then you know, the white die actually controls Merlin. And Merlin can move clockwise or counterclockwise. Merlin can also do something special. You get three Merlin staffs during the game that you could use to double the action that Merlin is on, his space. Now, since all the rest of the players are controlling Merlin, you might wait for another player to move in a certain amount of spaces, and that might open up more opportunities for you moving clockwise and counterclockwise, and that's kind of cool. It's a nice little dynamic that everybody gets a chance to, to do something special with Merlin. If you don't use your stabs by the end of the game, they're worth points, and um, <clears throat> there are a couple other things you can collect during the game, one of which is an apple. Now, uh, when you land on a certain spot where the, the grail symbol is, you take the grail from whoever, whichever player has it, and you immediately get an apple. Now, again, what an apple has to do with the grail, other than, I guess, it representing original sin, I have no idea. But the apple essentially lets you to change a die face to any face you would like. Now, they're also worth points at the end, too, so, and they're precious. So, uh, But the thing is, you're, you're going to use them to change your die. They're really hard to come by, so whenever you get them, you're going to just hesitate to win it, use it the best to make it to the die face you need, but it really can come in in a pinch. And in any game when you have dice rolling, you've got to have something that mitigates that. Again, the apple, whatever. I have no idea what that has to do with anything. If somebody out there gets it and understands it, please let me know, but at any rate, those are the different mechanisms for moving around the rundown. And uh, I believe, if I recall correctly, there are six realms around the Rondell as well that you can... There's, like, different castles. And you also have different agents that you can send into that space. So if you land in, in the the, uh, the portal way for, for that realm or, or castle, you can put one of your agents, move one of your agents from either inside your own individual uh, keep or... From another realm that they've already existed in. So if they come in, if somebody's in that spot, that person gets bumped out, you get into that space. And, you know, there's four different ones. One, the lady-in-waiting, and I won't be able to remember all these, but the lady-in-waiting allows you to put one of your little markers inside the castle, and that uh, exists for influence in that particular area of the kingdom. And there's going to be interim scoring, as you'd expect, and you'll score points based on how much influence you have in the castles. You can also get these banners. So your banner man can go there, and you take the banner from one of those, just hang out next to your little player board, your keep, and they allow you to do certain mitigations. Like, for instance, you can toss one in, discard it at any time to move counterclockwise, move your knights counterclockwise instead of clockwise. They all have different abilities like that. Some of them allow you to like, jump across the table to the opposite side. Now, inside your regular keep, where you're storing your banners are also every time there's a scoring round you're going to get three bandits that are basically invading your keep and there are uh, uh, six different types of bandits and they're all defended or fought off by getting shields from the particular realm that they they come from the particular part of the the realm or or countryside that they come from so that's where you can send your knight or your i guess your shield shield bearer man at arms or whatever you want to call them to one of the, the kingdoms, get the shield, and you put it there. So during the scoring phase, you're able to basically fight off one of those knights, and you don't get negative points for having a, a bandit come through. And 
your final uh, person is the builder and allows you to get uh, stone from that particular portion of the realm and then you can use that stone to build um, again I guess their principalities or the more keeps or things like that on the sideboard that's random every round and depending on how much influence you have built into uh, contiguous areas on this during the interim scoring portions you'll score points for that as well so lots of different ways to score points obviously it's a failed so it's a bit of a point salad Sorry if that term is ever used, but there's <laughs> it's very rarely points buffet, if you will. Uh, we're going to try to find some new terms for that particular thing. But yes, lots of different ways you can go about it. Now, another way you can score points during the middle of the game are these mission cards, and they have things like uh, you need a blue cube, a red a red banner, and a gray shield, or you need a cube of one color and a cube of another color, and they all give you one. I think I think the maximum amount of points you can get from them are three points, but one point to three point when you you basically you don't have to discard the, the things that you have you just show that you have them and you take the card out of your hand you draft another one they're not terribly thematic there's not really anything on there there's some art but it doesn't make any sense that like oh well i need this brick from over here and this flag from over here uh, you know there's some where you have to collect four banners of the same type i mean it's just all it is is a collection basically again it's not terribly tied into the theme not a huge amount that goes into it but it works well enough altogether it's got a lot of familiar Feldian elements to it it has the rondelle it has uh, the various different ways to score it has you rolling dice and seeing what the best results you can get out of those dice every turn and it allows you also certain spaces allow you to convert something to another thing there's a little expansion that comes with it that allows you to, instead of whenever you complete a mission, you can, instead of taking the points for that particular mission, you can then place one of three markers onto the sideboard that allows you a special ability whenever you activate an agent. Uh, it's It seems like you want to play with that. We definitely played with it, and Ruth recommended that we did. I'm glad that we did because it added just that little extra to the game. I will admit that I didn't use my special ability, and I'm not sure... We, any of us really used them a lot, but every now and then they came in. They came in handy. So that's Merlin. I, it's you know, if you like Feld, and you, right now you don't want to shell out that much money for Merlin. It was like seventy dollars or something like that. Uh, it'll be available more readily in English probably after the holidays. And I would recommend if you like Feldian games and you like games that have a lot of different avenues for scoring probably pick that up again it's a queen game so i would recommend probably waiting it won't be too long until they'll probably put some put some of them on discount they usually have sales uh, twice a year that you can pick them up or if you get a chance to play it uh, you know from somebody else who owns the game definitely give it a shot i enjoyed playing it i don't think it's one that i want to add to my collection even though i do like a lot of stefan feld titles just simply because you know i like arthurian legends but again the theme's not really there it's okay because it's a euro and a lot of euros have the theme slapped on but to be honest with you you've got macau which i'll talk about in a minute that actually has a pretty tight integration of theme and i, and I like that a lot better than just saying okay well we're gonna put a you know, tight window dressing on this very uh thick thinky euro type of game but that's merlin now as i mentioned uh speaking of steffenfeld games got a chance to break out Macau, which I'm pretty sure is no longer in print, sadly. 
It is definitely a, a different type of game, but it is one of Steffenfeld's earlier designs, and you can kind of see it a little bit. And I'll talk a, a bit about why that is in a minute. Uh, as far as Macau is concerned, the theme is that it's set in Macau, and there are uh, provinces along in the city that you can control for points at the end of the game, but also they'll give you goods that you can load onto your ships, and then you send your ships out to deliver to different ports around the world for the goods that are there. And um, there's also a wall. There's a famous uh, seaside wall in Macau, but you're basically moving up the wall. And, and as far as you get along the wall, depends on what your, your player order is. So there's variable player order in the game. And all this is done, again, with dice. So we're starting to notice uh, a lot of similarities in, in, in Feldian games, and he likes to use dice. And that's fine because, again, you're trying to use those dice for... Uh, however they come up to maximize what your abilities are and what actions you can take. In the, the uh, instance of Macau, what you do with the dice is there are, if I recall correctly, there are six different action cube colors. And they don't call them anything other than action cubes. There's not any thematic tie into that. It's just a, a portion of the mechanic that's used with the dice. Every round, though, you'll roll those six dice, and they will correspond to various uh, numbers and colors. What you have in front of you is another rondelle, but it's um, called your Windrose, and it has seven sides to it. Six of those sides are marked by the pips of the dice, and one of those just has an arrow on it. So on your turn, what you're going to do is you you roll the dice, and then when it's your turn, you will select uh, two of those dice to take colors of, and then put put them on the matching pips where your Windrose is at. So let's say there's a yellow uh, four. Actually, there's not any yellow in the game. So blue, we'll say blue. Blue four, and so you'll place four blue cubes on the space on your wind rows that matches the four pips. And then, let's say you, you really need something, you want to do that turn, so you take a one red, and you add it to the one space on your wind rows. When everybody has done that, everybody rotates their wind rows one notch clockwise, and that t- shows you how many action cubes you have to uh, do certain things in the game. Adapt to the round. So let's say that on a previous turn I put two, gre- I had got two greens in that one pip spot. Now I added this red. So now I've rotated my wind rose to show it. I will have one red action cube and two green action cubes. Now one thing that's also done every round is you're always going to be drafting a card. So depending on the number of players, we had four players in our last one, you're going to, around the edge of the board are two administration cards, or office cards. Uh, they are uh, put out from a, a standard deck, and they're just spread out around the, the board. And everybody can see what they are. They have special abilities listed on them, but they also have a build price on them. So a number, a number of action cubes that you have to use to ready them. Uh, when you draft a card, you're going to draft some cards at the beginning of the game. When you draft a card, you're going to place it into your little uh, tableau, your your uh, player board. And there are five spaces on the player board. And if you ever have to draw a sixth card and don't have a space for that, you have to discard a card and then take a penalty marker, which is negative three points at the end of the game. And there's lots of different ways to get penalty markers during the game, so you don't want those. You don't want them to stack up. You want to try to build your cards as, as much as you can. Then you will, in addition to those two cards you put out, you'll draw four cards from the building uh, and persons deck. And depending on the uh, player order for that round, you'll draft. 
it's a you'll basically draft your cards you'll put them on your player tableau and then in player order you will use your action cubes that are available to you that round to either build the card or uh, perform other actions in the game itself like for instance uh, controlling an area of the provinces that are out in or the, the city city blocks that are in Macau moving up the uh, city wall to improve your, your turn order and uh, moving your uh, ship around the harbor what we call the harbor but it's really the world because you're going to like London and places like that so lots of different ways to spend your action cubes uh, there's always a way to spend them you could pass without spending some of them but you're going to want to spend them as much as possible and so it creates an interesting puzzle you can use those action cubes like I mentioned to ready uh, the cards that are on your personal player board once you do that you put them off to the side into your active tableau and they all have different abilities like one could be and you all basically you basically tap the card to use it once you've built it it is ready you can tap it and use it once per round uh, one could be like uh, turn a green cube into a red cube or, or turn any any uh, action cube into a red cube or uh, every time you take a gold coin you will um, gain another gold coin. There's lots of different combo type abilities like that but there are also in-game abilities naturally because you're going to have some guild cards and try to build an engine that will allow you to score more points at the end of the game. In addition to all this the gold coins themselves are an, an interesting switching economy so when you lay the cards out every round, they're going to have two, two numbers at the bottom of the card. One of those numbers is going to be the number, uh, well, you'll add those all together, and on a uh, chart on the board, you'll change the two values. One of them is gold value, and one of them is points value. So you'll add the cards up, the six cards, and let's say the six cards added up to five. You put the gold marker on five, and then you added the, the victory points, so you put it on, let's say that it added eight. So that means that round, as one of your actions, you can spend five gold coins to gain eight victory points or prestige points along the track in Macau. So that's another way to get points as well. And So you could have a gold buying engine so you could try to uh, get or spend gold on those higher exchange rates where some of the other people don't have enough gold to buy on the exchange rate and try to get ahead of uh, everyone else. That's essentially the different ways you can score in Macau. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's it's a very thinky game. The thing that makes it the most thinky is trying to maximize the amount of actions you have on a turn. So you can take, if you roll, let's say you roll a six purple, you can take that six purple, but it's going to be six rounds before you will be able to use those purples. But you're going to have six of those action cubes. Now you also, you can see where coming up from the office cards that are around the edge of the board. There's only two of those. Uh, the other ones are completely random, so you never know if they're going to come out, what type of cube mix you're going to have. So sometimes you're going to have to uh, not take a, a five or a six and wait for those to build up. Sometimes you're going to have to take a one or a two. You even have some cards that play off of, like if you take a one die, you get a, a special bonus, things like that. So it, it has a lot going on with it. And I will say that it, when I first played it, it blew my mind. And this was, wow, probably seven years ago when it first came out. I think it was 2010, may have been the first time that I ever played Macau. Uh, and it, it kind of blew my mind. I didn't, I think it's because it was so new at that time. It was one of those games that you'd never really seen anybody do something like that with action cubes and the, the windrows. I'm not sure that I've seen that actually done again. The only drawback to the game, and I, I will say that it shows a little bit of, I think the drawbacks to some, the reason why some people don't like Stefan Feld games is that there is, uh, the randomness of the dice are okay because everybody's working from the same pool, but 
the randomness of the cards really kind of hurts a bit sometimes. Uh, you can always depend on the office cards that are on the outside, and that's great. But there's always going to be randomness when you draw the building and people cards uh, to put out on the board. So, for instance, there's a, a card that uh, I think it's I can't uh, Baroness. There's the Baron via Baronessa, and if you get the the, the lead Baroness. Uh, it gives you points at the end of the game for every Baroness card that you have managed to draw and ready into your tableau. Well, there's no guarantee because you, not all the cards in the game come out in every game. You may not see another Baroness. They may all be in the bottom of the deck. So I think that the game could benefit from some curating. And I think, from what I remember, there are some fan curations on uh, Board Game Geek and a couple other places that you can look to actually create these custom custom-made uh, decks that allow you to guarantee that there are going to be a few things that are in there instead of just every game well there's like I don't know 20 or 30 cards that don't come out I don't really mind randomization from card draws and things like that but you're going to be working towards um, uh, press your luck as far as trying to get in-game points when you're not guaranteed to see those cards throughout the game and that's really one of the biggest drawbacks of Macau you can get caught in a loop uh, where you aren't able to build some of your cards and you start stacking up on uh, penalty tokens. You also get penalty tokens for every card that it's in your, that's on your player board at the end of the game that you have not ready. So you want to start, you really do want to concentrate on careful drafting. That's where uh, turn order comes into play. But if you concentrate too much on turn order by using your action cubes, you won't have enough time to deliver your goods out into the world. And uh, the goods are also a little bit of a race too because you have to race to get the, the first good place there is worth five points, second good place there is worth three, and the third good is worth two. So you want to try to race to get to those places, and you also have to use your action cubes wisely to uh, guarantee your space in the provinces. So a lot to think about. Uh, you don't want to neglect too much of one thing or the other or get too concentrated on one thing or the other without trying to, to do careful drafting of your cards to get your engine built, because otherwise you'll just stall out. But anyway, that shows you some, some similarities between that Macau and Merlin in the fact that, again, it's using dice, it's mitigation of dice, trying to do access to those dice, doing something interesting with a rondelle, lots of different ways to score. Um, but I will say that Merlin, other than the mission cards that come out, does not have as much randomness in it as Macau does. But in my opinion, it's not as fulfilling as Macau. And finally, on the Feldian Parade, we have Bruges, which again I mentioned is my personal favorite Feld game. I like it because it has the thinkiness of Feld uh, with slightly more randomization of cards that sometimes can get swingy, sometimes can't. But it also fits into that uh, really comfortable uh, space of time for about 60 minutes. Under 60 minute game, especially with three and two player games of Bruges, you can play it well under 60 minutes. And those types of games, like Ispahan, everybody out there listening, go ahead and drink. But Ispahan and, and some of the other games in that that weight, even New Bedford, uh, lots of different games we've recommended on the podcast before. I love games that feel uh, heavy, or you know, medium weight to heavy. You feel really fulfilled when you're done, but they last 60 minutes or under. They're super awesome, and this this game is, is tight that way. So Bruges is basically set in the city of Bruges, and you're all controlling different sections of the city. You have gates that lead into the city, and you're trying to build, well, you're trying to do a lot of different things. You're building your kind of uh, influence houses in the city and putting influential people in those houses. You are using cards 
And essentially, let me start over really quickly to tell you what the base mechanic is. You're going to be basically drawing a hand of cards. You're going to have five cards in your hand every round to use four of them to do different actions. And the cards are cool because they're multi-use. Every card can do five or six different things. And so you have uh, the cards in your hand. You have workers that are, I think, five different colors, if I recall correctly, in the game. And you have uh, five different dice that you're going to be rolling throughout the game. And at the beginning of every turn, you roll those five dice, and you will look and see how many of them are ones or twos. And the ones or the twos that are there are going to determine, when you add them together, similar to Macau, uh, how many guilders you have to spend to move up one space on the reputation track. And that's in the middle of the board, and it's basically your standing in the city council or whatever. So you, you add those up. Let's say you rolled a, a yellow one and a red two. You add those together, and three guilders will allow you to move up one space on the reputation track. And just one. So you can only move up one space per round. Uh, some people can defer not to, and that's okay. What you're trying to do with moving up the reputation track, obviously, is get in-game points, because the further up the reputation track you get, the more points you'll get, especially when you get towards the top. It starts to go uh, in higher numerical order, exponential scoring. Then you will also add up with the dice every five or six that is rolled. And when you roll a five or a six, you take the uh, threat token of that color. And they correspond to the five colors of the dice. And those different threat tokens are in small pies that add up to three. So let's say if you manage to accumulate three uh, three yellow threat tokens, then something bad will happen. Each different threat does something in particular. The yellow token, in general, I think, uh, makes you lose all your money. So over the course of different rounds, when you roll those dice, those threat tokens will start to accumulate. And if you let them sit too long, uh, you can have something really bad happen to you. And every now and then, you might want, you might not care that it happens to you. Losing all your money hurts, unless you spend your money every round. But that's not always going to happen. Anyway. Once you've done all that with the dice uh, and tried to figure all these different things out, then you can play cards from your hand. You'll Starting with the start player, you will play a card from your hand and do one of the five to six actions that are on the card. Uh, one of the actions that you can do is you can play it, and it, the, co- the color of the card, you'll look at the color of the die, and whatever the pips on that, you'll take guilders. So let's say it's a blue five. You play a blue card from your hand, discard it to the discard pile, you can take five guilders from the supply. So that gives you money to work with. One thing you do is get workers, and workers allow you to do different things like build houses, but also activate uh, special abilities on cards that you build. But uh, you can also discard a card. Let's say it's a red card. You can discard a red card and get two red workers from the supply and add them to your to your supply, your personal supply. You can build a house, and what you do with that is you discard a worker of the color of the house that you're trying to build. You flip the card in your hand over and showing its backside, which shows a little house and a little one victory point thing on the back, and that allows you to uh, then have a place to, to uh, basically hire a person, hire an individual to be in that house. You cannot hire individuals to your tableau unless you built the house first. Another action that you can take with the cards is that you can discard a colored card that matches one of the color threat tokens in front of you. Let's say like the yellow that I was talking about. You can discard that card, discard one threat token of that particular color, uh, making sure that you're not going to get hurt by the threat token, but you also get a victory point for that. So you move up on the victory point track. One of the other things you can do is build in the canals. So you control different canal sections. You have two uh, full canal sections in your section of the city. And essentially what you're doing is you're trying to fill the canals to protect the city. 
you can, uh, let's say that on either side of your gatehouse, you have like a, a blue and a yellow. And they both have a gilder marks inside them as well. So I could discard a blue card, pay a gilder, and take a little canal token and put it in that section of the canal. Now there are five sections of the canals on each side, so ten total sections, but as you get to the middle point of one canal section, it means you'll get three points at the end of the game. If you get to the uh, fifth space and, one, and fill up one full canal section, you get to take a statue from the uh, pile in the middle of the, of the board and add it to, and you'll have in game scoring from that and it goes from seven down to two uh, not everyone's going to build full canal sections most most people will probably build at least one and try to get the statue because there's a lot of points for that and the final thing you can do with your cards is you can hire personnel so uh, they will uh, run in cost from zero they'll either call zero three six nine and in rare cases 12 guilders you have to have an available house, and the color of the house doesn't really matter for this portion of the game. But let's say they cost six guilders, you will discard six guilders, place them onto an available house in your tableau, and from that point on, well, most of them will have an ongoing effect. Some of them will, you'll have to pay a worker of a specific type to activate that effect. Some of them have just the infinity loop icon, which means that it's always there when you do a certain thing, something happens. But then there are some that have a little stair step on them. It means as soon as you play them to your, your personal tableau, you get that effect, but then they just kind of sit there. They're worth points at the end of the game, uh, but that's pretty much all they do. <clears throat> there are also in-game scoring personnel that you can get as well that will uh, score points depending on the type of personnel that's in your tableau, so on and so forth. So lots of different ways you can try to build the engine. Now, uh, it plays pretty quickly. You're always constantly drawing from one of two different draw piles. So if there are certain color cards you're looking for, you can try to draw depending on what colors that you see up and down uh, on other different stacks. But you know you can't always depend on that color coming up. And again, that's one of the sometimes frustrating aspects of, of Bruges, like in Macau. So both Bruges and Macau have a lot of luck in random draws. Sometimes you'll get a lot of synergies in your hands. You might be able to build some personnel to play off of each other. Uh, sometimes you'll get an in-game scoring card that depends on a certain personnel type, and you rarely see that personnel type. This is all going to happen in Bruges simply because there's only you know so many cards to go around. But the fact that Bruges lasts 60 minutes or less, and Macau is usually a two-plus-hour game, is one of the reasons why I think the uh, randomness of the draws and also the, the the multiple aspects, play aspects of the cards in Bruges, because it's so flexible, it mitigates a lot of that. So if you get a lot of cards in your hand on one turn, you can just play them all for guilders, you can try to start building your canals out. Sometimes you'll uh, not quite get the color that you need, but then just build it as a house. It's worth one point at the end, and you've got space for personnel on a following turn. So um, one other thing that I'll mention that's kind of cool in the game is that you, get, you have three different majorities. So if you are uh, the person who has the majority on the reputation track, in other words, you're the farthest up on the reputation track, you flip a token. It's worth four points at the end of the game. Uh, same thing with canals. If you're the person who has built the most canals at one point in the game, you flip it over and you have a majority, you'll get four points at the end of the game. Once you achieve that majority, you never lose that token. So you're always going for one a few different things. The other one is having the most amount of people um, out in your tableau, and you flip and get that, that majority. 
And uh, sometimes it's hard when somebody gets far, too far up on the reputation track for you ever to get that majority back. But usually you can try to catch up with them because sometimes they'll run out of guilders. Uh, you can usually catch up on canals sometimes uh, with people. The last game that I played, I, I managed to get two different majorities, one of which was people, which I was way behind. But uh, one of the threats that came up killed a couple of other people's people. They wanted to get them off of houses, so they didn't care. So they could put new people out. But it allowed me to catch up on people and get the majority and get those four points at the end. It's just a, a fun game. But it does show, again, kind of how Feld has these... I mean, I call them game design tropes, but it's it's just favorite design mechanisms that you like putting in. I think that Feld enjoys the random card draws uh, with Bruges. I think he did a, a good job of mitigating a lot of the random card draws by making those cards multi-use, which is very satisfying. Lots of different combos can come up, um, and he loves dice. He loves being able to use the dice to do different things, to come out with different in- outcomes, and he uses them in creative ways. Now, uh, that said, Merlin, newest design chose a lot of, I guess, I don't know, maturity in his design concepts, but not quite as robust. Uh, you know, Bruges and Macau are a little bit more loose, uh, less well-defined in, in, in as far as, like, what people would mostly cons- uh, consider a, a really tight, open information euro, but still a lot of fun in how he builds those games out. So I highly recommend finding Bruges if you can. Uh, I think it's still in print, but I'd have to look. Uh, and if you run across a copy of Macau, I would definitely try to get that as well. Don't pay you know, through the nose from a collector just because it's out of print. But anyway, that is my Feldian Parade. I still enjoy Feld's games. A lot of people will kind of take me to task about Bruges being my favorite, but that's okay. There's going to be a lot of people out there that say Castles of Burgundy is your favorite. I'm like, you know, Castles of Burgundy is fine. I will play Castles of Burgundy. The only failed game that I don't really care for is Trajan. And I have made that abundantly clear on the podcast in the past. I like the Castles of Burgundy card game. Really, it's one of the, the tightest ones out there that he's put out. And next to Bruges, I also recommend the Speaker Stock, which has been re-implemented as, oh, I'm blanking on the name. It's the Viking theme put out by Stronghold. Sorry, I'll have to look and uh, try to remember that and maybe mention it later on. For now, I'm going to concentrate on driving to St. Louis. I am actually 89 miles outside of St. Louis right now, and hopefully I'll be back with more content. All right, well, we're here at the backside of the podcast. Let's talk really quickly about notable Kickstarters. My copy of Alexandria I mentioned came in. It looks beautiful, but I have yet to play it. Uh, we have a game day uh, scheduled to, to happen at Matt and Marcy Wolf's house on New Year's Eve. So uh, not too long after this podcast will be posted. I'm hoping to take that over there and get it played. There's also several things I want to get on my plate to play before we uh, talk about our games of 2017, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, other than that, absolutely horrible time to launch anything on Kickstarter. Because it is the holidays and people are spending money on things that they don't have to wait for like six months to a year to get or longer, depending on on the actual one. I will mention uh, a couple really quickly. Mythic Arcana has uh, $24,000 of, oh, by the time this podcast goes out. Again, my timing is right on, on track, but there's only about 62 hours to go as of this podcast. So you may only have like 20 hours by the time it drops, but go check it out. The art seems cool. It is a uh, dice and card game uh, using gods and mythology. 
gods from the both the uh, uh, Norse mythology, uh, Egyptian mythology, all kinds of different things, uh, Greek mythology. And it's only $32 for the base game, and plus $7 shipping to the United States. And I'm not sure about the rest of the world. I didn't price that out. Anyway, go check that out. The art looks pretty cool. It's already gotten $24,000 of its $20,000 goal. Again, it's a tough time to be launching these games, but everything looks pretty pretty professional as far as the, the production on this. The other one I included because TC loves his, his chess variants is uh, Seven Days to Go on Tank Chess, which describes itself as abstract, diceless tank battle game for true thinkers and strategists, Fisher versus Patton, Zhukov versus Kasparov. I mean, mm-hmm. how classic does that get? That's so classic. <clears throat> By the way, $57,000 for this tank <laughs> variant. This tank chess variant, rather. Uh, 1,265 backers, seven days to go. If you think chess variants are dead, I remind you, Kickstarter exists. So... Well, this is like this is like tank chess. Oh, I mean, it's like a chess variant, but it's got terrain. It does have it's terrain. Got a huge board, it and does. also it it looks like it plays like the Atari game chink tanks. That's exactly what I thought when I saw it. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it looks yeah because it's got these little. I mean, everything's laid out on a, a square grid, and then you're moving your tanks around, and the, all the little the terrain pieces are made out of like chunks of grid. So it's like the old chunky Atari 2600 tank game. It's crazy. Why do they even call I guess they're just calling it chess so that maybe people are like, oh, cool, chess. Yeah, I guess because there are people out there who legitimately love chess variants. And if they just just put it out there as like, hey, let's play tanks, then there might be some people be like, well, I'm not really into tanks. But there might be the overlap of people who like, well, I'm really into chess. But, I mean, it's crazy. This thing has made... Let me reiterate here: fifty, almost fifty-eight thousand dollars during Christmas. Let me remind everybody. Ooh, but the the pocket game is ten dollars. Well, now the, now that's pretty cool, actually. Tank chess and it comes pocket, with twenty-eight plastic pieces. It's pretty crazy. Ten bucks, one physical copy of Tank Chess in pocket-sized box. Uh, the shipping amount is only four dollars. So for fourteen dollars, you could have pocket Tank Chess if you're really into tanks and chess. Pretty pretty inexpensive. <clears throat> the uh, the the big game is the big game is actually uh, only thirty nine dollars, which is pretty good. Thirty nine dollars, well, sixteen dollars ship in the U S. So fifty five dollars total. Um, uh, tons. I mean, this is probably one of the reasons why it's done pretty well. I mean, it's it's game rules in like uh, I don't know sixteen to twenty different languages, which is crazy. I don't know. Anyway, interesting. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, other than that, I think that's all we have for Kickstarter. I'm not sure if anybody else is out there backing anything, or Daryl, you've not been ripped off by any more Kickstarters that I know of. No, I haven't backed anything. The holidays. Yeah, the holidays. So. It, nobody's really backing anything on Kickstarter. That's why we don't. That's why December is a dead month for us. Um, other than that, Dice Hate Me Games news, I'll mention really quickly that the replacement playmats for Bottom of the Ninth are officially here, and they're actually not screwed up, which is awesome. Uh, Panda delivered those to us about five days ago. We posted uh, a, an update on the Bottom of the Ninth cl- uh, Clubhouse Kickstarter. If you have a damaged playmat and have not contacted Greater Than Games about it, please do so now. You can email paul at greaterthangames.com and let him know that you'd like a replacement playmat. This is for the official Bottom of the Night playmat on Clubhouse Edition. 
And um, other than that, we're you know we're just in the middle of production for uh, Legends of Sleepy Hollow, which I need to do a lot of work for tomorrow, but also before the, the new year, we'll be back with an update on that with Kickstarter with our usual first Tuesday of the month updates. Other than that, everything else is pretty clear. Unpub news, Daryl. Uh, Unpub trains getting ready to leave the station. <laughs> uh, no, Unpub Eight uh, is coming up in March, uh, the twenty third to the twenty fifth. With Matt Leacock in Baltimore, Maryland, at the Delta Hotels in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Uh, just on the outskirts of Baltimore. So if you used to fly into BWI and jump on the light rail, uh, you still do that exact same thing. You're just going to take the light rail to the very end to Hunt Valley and then get off and walk across the street and party. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, sponsorship information has been sent out and is also still being sent out. If you are interested in sponsoring on Pub 8, and damn it, you should be by this point, uh, then uh, reach out to me uh, or to sponsors at unpub.net, and we will get back to you with the packet and information on how you can help support this amazing nonprofit organization. And it is a nonprofit, so therefore you do get a tax write-off. So it's a win-win. Yay! Well, you have to weigh that in with all of your other tax write-offs you got from the new Trump tax plan. So, uh, you know, pledge. Why the why the fudge do you bring him up in this podcast? <laughs> because why? if why? you make if you make too much this money, podcast has like been fine, and then you just had to bring that up. <laughs> We've been trying to steer away from politics for so long, and you just like just casually drop it in, like oh oh oh, and the Trump tax plan. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying. I, to, I mean, I'm go. just saying, if you make too much money, you need to, to make some tax write-offs. Umpub is is uh, nonprofit now, so dump all your money into uh, Umpub and launder it. That's I don't know. Are they allowed? To, are you allowed to? Are you allowed to get tax write-offs for donating nonprofits? He doesn't. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we'll find out. Donate to Speak to your CPA and then donate to Umpub. How's that sound? All right, TC, you got any news other I than just soured this? Oh, come <laughs> on. oh, this is getting you back for like doing the whole downer at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> TC news, anything from you? Oh, I have no new news. I just am. I'm just loving life. Sounds good. Well, that's it for this episode of State of Games. Stay tuned next time for our annual Games of the Year episode where we'll look back at 2017 and tell you what titles we feel are the best of the best. Uh, We love hearing from all of you, of course, so if you have any topics or new segments you'd like to hear about, we can add them to the show. You can email those ideas to thestateofgames at gmail.com or tweet them at thestateofgames on Twitter. You can also go to dicehateme.com and comment on the podcast and or join Guild1903 on boardgamegeek.com. Of course, you can also hit me up on Twitter at DiceHateMe and on Instagram. What about the rest of you? You can find me on Twitter at GetLouder. And you can find me as at PuppyShogun on the Twitters. The Twitters. Twitter. All right. Well, until next time, I'm DiceHateMe. I'm GetLouder. I'm Puppy Shogun. Saying thanks for listening. Happy New Year. And may, may all, all your rolls be sixes. Oh my gosh. Midlife crisis. The one about Daryl's <laughs> yeah, midlife crisis. Yeah, seriously, exactly. Need your rocking chair. Your Geritol or your Medicare. Well, I still got neon in my vein. This gray hair don't mean a thing. I do 
You can't put this possum in a cage My body's old but it ain't impaired 